Pan. And into the fire, run. Run! Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Out of the Frying Pan, a Middle-Earth strategy battle game podcast. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out of your door. You step into the road and if you don't keep your feet, there is no knowing where you might be swept off to. Fantastic. Where I think people are going to know what's coming up based on on that little snippet there but anyway what we'll do is we'll uh we'll give you a bit of a rundown what's coming up on the show and uh, and then we'll take our usual immediate little break before we come back and do many meetings but we have many meetings coming up and we have a bit of a special um anniversary edition of the show so a few extra things to talk about um we've got our um generation shift competition winner to to announce um dan and i have both been hobbying um and then we've got for the main chat today on Council of Elrond. We are doing more scenario reviews, um, which is the, the fun at the moment. So we, we played Farmer Maggot's Crop, Buckleberry Ferry and Nazgul in Bree recently um, and we'll be giving the full treatment to those. So looking at previous incarnations and um, talking about the games we played and what we thought of them um, and then for heroic death match later on we have Tariel versus the Spider Queen so we'll take a short break now and we'll come back with many meetings Incom Gaming, the new centre for tabletop wargaming in Gloucestershire visit incomgaming.co.uk for great savings on pre-orders and all your hobby needs we stock many gaming systems and hobby accessories and can ship to anywhere in the UK market-leading gaming mats from gamemats.eu. Visit the store and check out how to turn your tabletop into a battlefield. Incom Gaming is based in the centre of Cheltenham and offers tables and scenery for casual and organised play with a fully licensed bar. Check out our events page for upcoming events where everyone is welcome. Visit incomgaming.co.uk. Incom Gaming. Come game, shop, drink. And here we are for many meetings. How's it going, Dan? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. I've been really busy, um, but life busy. It feels like, uh, I don't know, I complain now, this is real third world problems, but I haven't been able to keep on, on the Facebook things that I normally do. So I feel like I go into the, uh, the battle streams chat and I've just missed hours and hours of conversation, go read through it all, put a, put a couple of likes in and then back out again. It just feels like everything's at 100 miles an hour, but not in a bad way, just, just family life and work and things like that. Um, but... We're not going to go into talking about what we've been doing straight away. We thought we would um, get some announcements out of the way first. So the first one is the Generation Shift um, base competition, which we announced when, when Matt Davis was on the show. Um, we extended it to the end of last month, um, and we put a show out the like the day before the, the end of the, the competition, I think, or we recorded the, that show the day before the end of the competition, so we couldn't announce it then, which meant there's been a whole sort of two-week wait now for people to find out who, who the winner was. Um, but we had we had quite a few entries in the end, which showed it was worth the, worth the wait, wasn't it, Dan? Yes, and they're all very good entries. I was very impressed. There's been some uh, wonderful work put in, and uh, it's driven a bit of extra sort of cool chatter and some... Uh, likes etc and some more pictures and things in the the groups which is always really nice to see yeah uh, so uh, yeah thanks to everyone who entered yeah thank you thank you you are oh, 
our call or my moaning that not enough people had entered and why wouldn't they want to enter for for these for the awesome prize which is 500 points worth of generation shift bases kindly donated by by matt um and yeah but we there were some really really nice bases um i think they're all pretty cool to be honest with you but some really sort of fun scenic ones um at the risk of participation certificates etc you're all worthy of winners being winners but there can only be one <laughs> yes and as we said we weren't going to pick what we what we thought was the best it wasn't about that we didn't want to put anyone off entering we wanted to see people um, engaging in the hobby and um just by entering gave you your ticket to enter so to speak um i think there were 15 or so confirmed entries i did it earlier so we did it on a random number generator earlier um to save time um now and the winner was dan slob um, I think it's Slobberdan or something like that, isn't it? But uh, um, yeah, Dan, give us a shout when you hear this. If I don't, you know, if we don't hear from you in the next couple of weeks or so, we'll uh, we'll give you a nudge anyway. And I think Matt Davies is going to put together a a post soon when he um he's he's kind of I think he screenshot a lot of the images of people's work and he's going to do a little post with a you know thanking people and a bit of a comment anyway. So um, yeah, get in touch with us and we will sort of make sure you get in touch with Matt to sort out your prize. But thank you very much, everyone. And then there's something else to talk about before we start talking about our hobby. Dan, what is it? Well, first, I can't believe you missed a golden opportunity to use that soundboard of yours. There's got to have been a drum roll in there somewhere. There is. I mean, I always... You get it wrong, of course, but... Yeah, is, where's the drum roll? No. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't the drum roll. No. There you go. Well, it's more of a bad Rim joke. Shot, that... Yeah. It there you go. Up there you go. Sorry. There we go. That's more like, isn't it? Sort of. <laughs> That's Dan's chair. Don't be so... There we go. Competition winner. And we just lost half the listeners. Okay, so um, some of the eagle-eyed amongst you may have noticed that uh, we've recently changed our logo. So, first of all, thank you very much to Pete Whitlam. Uh, Never quite sure if he actually listens to us regularly or not. Uh, Still, we haven't quite put the uh, nails underneath his fingernails in order to get him to into middle earth he's wavered a couple of times dunlan nearly got him because he has a small obsession with all things uh norse but uh either way thank you very much to pete for that he did it basically for nothing which is our favorite price so thank you very much pete <laughs> we're not trying to pay you in exposure because but when life becomes a little better i'll uh, sort you some beer out so if you are listening pete thank you yes yeah, um, definitely. so yes and, and despite a few hiccups with um you know, uh, which numbers are on which side of dice, which, of course, <laughs> Stu wouldn't have picked up because he doesn't look at them when he puts them in the microwave. Um, I do. I want to make sure the six is on the right side before you microwave. Of course I don't. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but, but it was a two uh, and the way, four that was a problem. I didn't look at those sides. Anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, no, don't have to when you're always rolling sixes, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, but, wait, wait, till uh, we yes. get, wait till we get to the uh, the actual games we paid later and we start talking about priority and how many sixes I roll with that. Um <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, the answer may surprise you. Okay, so um, yes, back to topic in hand. Uh, it is our one-year anniversary. This is our 24th episode, 25th if you include the pilot. Yes. And that's uh, so that's basically one every fortnight for a year. Uh, most podcasts don't make it to a year, so, you know, small pat on the back to us. Um, and in light and in support of this, we are running a small competition. So the competition is for uh, a T-shirt. We are 
soon. Uh, we haven't really 100% decided when exactly we're going to be uh, putting up a, a small shop on Redbubble with um, T-shirts and stuff. If you want to show your, your love for us uh, or you want to burn them in effigy, fine, just give us the money. Um, but we will be, or well, I already have created a special T-shirt that is different to all the others. It is gold, not gold in colour, but the, the logo, logo and everything is else gold, on it is worry. gold. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure we'd all look wonderful in gold T-shirts. You know, I've seen Mike Myers dressed up like that. He looks wonderful. But um, yes, there is a special T-shirt. They will only be available to uh, winners of competitions in the future. We may give them away for other things. We we have spoken about, you know, uh, contributions to the community, etc. Things that we see, which we just think are awesome. But the very first one, uh, the inaugural one, which we even we won't have. Mm. Um, is going to be given away for this competition in celebration of our one-year anniversary. So without further ado, how do they win one, Stu? How do they win one? It's the person who sends the most money to... No, no, no. Um, <laughs> it's, so we're going to get cheesy with it. This is a kind of, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, we kind of figured, or I kind of figured, that if you'd, if you'd, if you'd want a T-shirt with Out of the Frying Pans new logo on it, um, you probably like the podcast. Um, so as we roll, get no entries, we're going to look really bad. But um, we thought if you like the podcast, you wouldn't mind sharing somewhere that you like the podcast and saying, hey, if you like like uh, Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game, maybe give these guys a listen. And we appreciate that not everyone wants going to want to do that on their main Facebook page. So we're quite open how you do it. So whether that's um, you just share it to a gaming-related private group or something like that, so whether that's everyone re-sharing re- re- stuff and spamming GBHL or one of the other groups, uh, um, or on their hobby-related Instagram or on their hobby-related Twitter page, um, but just you know share this episode's link, um, share the post where we put the new logo up, or even just save the picture of the logo and, and just do a post and saying, listen to these guys or something, but just... Basically, if you enjoy the podcast, just do one share somewhere saying, you know, we like it. We like this podcast. Give it a try. See if you like it too. Tag us so we know. Um, the or if it's a closed group, uh, take us a screenshot yes, and send that yeah, to us. Yeah, absolutely. Quite happy for you to take a screenshot and email it. Um, um, that might even be a better way of doing it. But at the very least, if not, tag us so we know so we can keep track. Don't put it in your Facebook or Instagram stories. They're great. And I think um, just Richard on instagram gave us a nice plug in his story today um which is brilliant thank you very much but your story disappeared in fact he's already entered because he's done that i'm going to remember that and add him to the list but we might miss you if it's on a facebook story or instagram story that's the only reason i say don't do it that way because i think it's 24 hours isn't it and they disappear yes so yeah that's the only reason i'm saying don't do it not that we not you know, grateful if you do that. We just don't want to miss, just don't want to miss an entry. So he's automatically entered, and he didn't even know he was entering a competition when he did it. But it's a bit cheesy. We're not super comfortable with this kind of stuff. We're kind of like, you know, we share the shows when they go out there. If people like them, they'll listen to them. But it, it is a good way of getting hold of um, new listeners and things as well. You might well hit a few people that haven't come across us before. So that's how we're going to do it. Um, so we haven't talked about a, a time limit here, really. Um, I think probably two shows time world will actually should we announce it on our Christmas episode, Dan? That seems like a good time to announce it. Yeah, it's the you know, it's the season, the giving of gifts and all that, so why not give away a t-shirt at Christmas? Sounds fair. Exactly. So that we've we've planned out all our shows anyway up until sort of the end of Jan. So we've got another one planned at the end of this month if all things go well. Um and then there's one big one planned in, in December. So you've probably got a month until we record it 
maybe a little bit less. Um, I mean, get them in as quick as you can. Can't give you an, an exact finish date. Um, but if the if the Christmas show comes out, um, then you know you're too late if you haven't already done it. Um, but we'll try and get as many people in there as possible. But I imagine we'll be recording around somewhere between the 10th and the 15th of December. I imagine we'll record our Christmas special there at some point. So, yeah, so it's been a good year. Um, yeah, 24 episodes. Um, I think this week is the actual anniversary week in terms of date as well, that we got the first two shows out within a couple of days each other, the pilot and zero one and episode one. So it's been a good year. Had loads of fun. Thanks to everyone who's listened so far. And, uh, well, we've got no plans of going anywhere. We're going to keep going. Right. Should we get back to normal so, things, normal show? Yeah, I just feel like the compulsive urge to apologise for remaining on the air. <laughs> well, people don't need to listen, do they? We're not. This isn't. No, no one. There's no license. There's no license fee to to have to, uh, to 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 listen to us. We're not there if you don't want us to be there. So if you're listening to us, well, yeah, you probably do like it. Um, or it's the first time when you're wondering what the hell is going on already. Um, Never underestimate the power of obligation, mate. <laughs> So, uh, yes, um, what have I been up to? I actually, uh, once again, I have been painting, which is pretty awesome. I'll keep it to the Middle-earthy stuff at the moment, but I have been painting quite a few bits. But I have done my Witch King on Armoured Fell Beast. Um, it's the one from the uh, Pelennor Field set. Uh, he hasn't got a base yet because uh, I haven't decided what base he's going to go on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's he's done. I did the, uh, the Witch King himself, the rider, during the uh, battle streams. Uh, what two weeks ago? Yes, two you weeks did. Yes, tomorrow, you did. that was the one I missed. I think the one I didn't, didn't get to watch live. But I remember seeing that pop up. He looks awesome as well. And you've, yeah, I'm guessing you drive fitted it all to make sure that the um, when you glue him on the beast, his um, reins and stuff are gonna fit on nicely. Yeah, yeah. And then I um, just uh, last Thursday, I just sat down and did the oh, uh, yes, beast just it. in one go. Yeah. You have him. You're sorry. I just I remember when you were talking about it and the and the stream. I remembered the image of you sharing just the uh, the, the the witch king not mounted. And of course, I've yeah, seen that one is invisible fell beast. Spill out those um, <laughs> invisible dog dog leads. You can get the seaside. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I did. Is I just sat down last Thursday and, and painted his uh, fell beast as well. I actually, painted I think the fell beast faster than I painted him. But uh, yeah, they all got glued together. So um, yeah, he got done. Um, I sat down and worked out my 4,000 points worth of Mordor, which is quite a small Mordor army. As, as Mordor armies go, I don't have so much chaff, partly because painting restrictions, partly also because there's so many awesome things I want to get in. <laughs> Tough. If it doesn't win, I don't care. It looks cool. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You, once you, once you whack a about. troll in there and, and your um, siege engine and your witch king, it's... and it just starts to add up, doesn't it? It starts to eat your points. Um, yeah. And, and to be honest, competitive game and be damned. I don't, I don't give a monkey. So I just want to paint cool stuff and paint yeah, the army exactly. that I want to paint. So oh, I still think it's good. I still think it's good. It's just, um, it's not, it's not hoardish, I suppose at that size, but it's, you can go and add more chaff in later on if you want to. It's the stuff I'd paint as well, too, if I'm honest with you, mate. That's probably what I'd do. Yeah. Cause if I sit there and paint a hundred orcs, I'm just not going to, if I'm honest <laughs> at this point. I want to actually put an army down and actually get some games on with it. So, um, yeah, that's um, been worked out and I've got uh, the remaining orcs and rannons I need to paint or set up on my uh, foam block that I have. Because yes. all my models go on paper clips and then get pinned in like slightly odd-looking butterflies <laughs> and then get painted. Um, and then I've um, pulled out my uh, Thrandall horse again 
because I was looking at my, uh, you know, hobby bingo, and I was thinking, uh, what can I possibly get done by the end of this year? I mean, there's there's two on there. I'm definitely not going to get done. I'm not going to get him, uh, go to a gaming event done. Unfortunately, um, yeah. COVID nineteen has fully put pay to that. And I don't envisage in going to a painting competition right. happening either. No. So, but everything else, I think maybe it depends if we can um, get them on hen played, essentially, uh, remotely, which by the end of 2020 is looking unlikely, but you never know, because that is uh, recreate your favourite scene from movies with a narrative scenario. Mm, yeah uh, we don't think we've got enough uh orcs and things like that for that so i think it's gonna have to unfortunately uh mine aren't mine aren't painted and, and they won't be with with the stuff i i well, won't go into it too much detail now but the stuff i've got planned for our shows um that yeah that, that won't be squeezed in there that will be probably be added to the orcs i do for helm's deep at the end of it so that'll be a, a q1 next year job um so yeah i think it would be It'll be tough. Yeah, I'm fine with that. And um, it just, you know, I could have lied and said it's one of the ones that we played already from uh, yeah, Quest of I, but... See, I was talking to you. Were we talking about this on the show or not? I don't know. When I was talking about what my favourite was, um, I have favourites in each film. But I don't know if I have a favourite overall. It keeps changing. I think it's always am on end for me. It's, I think when I first watched Tarragona is best being a boss. It was um if I first watched when I first watched all three, it was the easy one. You go oh, Pelinor and the Charger Rohirrim, but then um what's my favourite film and you think, Oh, well, I really like that part of this film, but overall film maybe two two towers just clinches it. But I love that thirty minutes at the beginning of Fellowship when it's all in Hobbiton as well. That's the nicest part of the films to watch. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Helm's Deep's right up there as one of my favourite scenes, but um it's I don't know, I feel I don't know if I have got one singular favourite, so I don't. Actually, it doesn't really matter whether I tick that one off or not. I think doing if we get to do or if everything goes to plan and we do um, uh, balance tomb, um, that's up there where the top was there because just because there's seminal kind of bits from the films, but I've got so many cool bits. So I don't know. That's kind of like a half tick. Um, was I don't know if I have an absolute favourite part. It may be how yeah. deep. So I don't know. I don't know. But I'm with you on that. It's it doesn't matter anyway, I suppose these aren't these aren't competition things, are they? But um No, it just would have been nice. I had every you, intention. Yeah, well I suppose you you know that yours is definitely that, then you know you've definitely haven't got a tick on it, haven't you? Um but yeah, I can't. Yeah, I mean I'll get um I reckon I'll get a display board made this year. I'm gonna try anyway and build a paint scenery kit. Um, and where I came to this topic was Mounted Thranduil, mm, uh, who yes. has, who's now been sat in my to-do part of the year in various states of paint. Right. So I want to get him finished. Right, yeah, well, that makes sense. And it's a nice little a nice little project to do over the uh, before the end of the year, isn't it? It's just, even if it just keeps you sane in between painting the Moranans. Yeah, I mean, I've got a few other things to paint, in all honesty, for... I've got too much to paint, under. <laughs> but with no but no direction, I've got a big pile of stuff to paint, and no events to give me a an order of priority. Yeah, I'll just paint what I you want to. Problem. Just paint what you want to. Maybe something like ticking that box is the is the the, the thing you need. Um, well, his his horse is done, which is the bird the model I absolutely hate, and I've already painted it, so I can just copy over the. 
Yeah, I, I think then that, for me, we all work differently, don't we? For me, that would be the motivation because it's so nearly done. I'd think, right, it's done and it's then I've got a box ticked as well. So that, that's that's how, that's what would give me the direction in that sense. And then in terms of your Moranans, if, if I were you, I'd be like, right, I want to get these finished because next year I've planned for Middle Earth, I've planned to do some Isengard. So if I get these done before Christmas, then I'm kind of clear the deck, so to speak, again to do that. But again, we all work in different ways, don't we? Yeah, I think it's the fact of, you know, there's no clear sight without getting too maudlin and miserable at the moment about when we're going to be able to go and gaming or events and stuff uh, yet. Uh, uh, no, I imagine we're, we're looking Q2 onwards, aren't we? Um, yeah, which is going to suck. But the, the thing is as well, I've also got, you know, I've got Dog Order Army I've not played with. Um, I've got a thousand points worth of Iron Heroes I've technically not played with in full. Yeah. And I've got a Florian Army I've never played with really. Uh, a full size other than playing some bits and pieces here and there in preparation for lots of Jetson. Yes. So, um, so I have you do have new armies it's just because they don't yeah. feel new anymore because you've painted them and time's moved on, so to speak. Um, yeah, plus my uh, fantasy fellowship that's slowly getting chipped away at. Yes, yeah, I'm looking for. Well, that, I think that's our next show, wasn't it, talking about that? So all will be revealed at the end of end of the month. Yes, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, as much as I'm very much enjoying all the scenarios, and everything else the uh, fantasy fellowship portion of the book is one of my favorite parts so i have been looking forward to getting all, uh, you know into this so i'm looking forward to working mine out as i said it's for me it's probably going to be a theoretical thing at least for now i've got too many other projects on the go that are probably more pressing in terms of what will get games next as well but um i'm looking forward to just sort of sitting down and spending some time working out as a as a theoretical concept and having a laugh with it I'm, I'm debating whether to go comedy or to <laughs> keep it serious or not it's a little bit in the back of my head just going let's go silly let's go silly so we'll see um but um yeah it's going to be fun to do definitely um but, but I, I unlike you i won't be i don't think it's going to inspire me to build them and, and paint them which is good because i don't have the time with all the other stuff i've got going yeah i mean I'm, um my my fantasy, um, my fellowship hasn't changed, but the models I want to use for certain models has. Right. So try to get hold of various other ones, um, which will become abundantly clear in the next episode. So I won't steal the thunder from that. So without further ado, move on to what you've been up to, Steve. What have you been up to? What have I been up to? I've been collecting together the re- so for the scenarios we recorded. I had everything painted, but some. Um, but mounted wraiths. Um, I think I mentioned on the last show that I'd been looking at eBay bargains and picking them up when I could. Um, and I converted two from plastics. I think I'm sure I covered it on the last show. So, um, so I painted six. I had four metal on the two plastics that I made and converted using Rohan horses. Um, so I've got six fully painted. So they're all done. Um, two more have since arrived since we played the game, so I am now up to the eight unnamed ones. So all I'll need to purchase when I can, and I don't expect to find one on eBay for less than, than silly money, would be the Mounted Witch King, the Fellowship Edition version. Uh, yes, two one. kidneys and your firstborn child. Yeah, I've got the foot version of it, so I really just need the mounted one. I'm sure that I'll probably end up having to wait for an, an, an assumed... Um, <laughs> 
uh, made to order or it coming back into the range, whatever happens. Um, I'll just have to um, be patient and, and wait for that, but I'll be picking it up when it does. And I'm probably going to ask the two that have arrived this week for me, but I'll, I'll paint those when that, when I get hold of that. So I'm not painting them. I just I think six does me for for most of the early scenarios. If I want to play it, it's only when you need all, all nine at the, the, the flight to the Ford, and we're not going to be playing that anyway. Um, so yeah, I've got some mounting rafes. I've got the nine all one foot anyway, and I've got six mounted for, for dismounts and things now. So I've got a good chunk of them, and I'll get those final three down when the Witch King's available. Um, and I actually started painting the the Moria army. So I um, was trying to work. Out, I was talking to you about where to go with with painting because I like to try and save as much time as possible. So whether it's going to be going for the metals first and then picking out all the, uh, you know, using the airbrush, basically getting the metals done and then going and picking out the flesh and the um, all the fabric and stuff. But they're pretty much in thirds, which is always a really annoying way of doing it. So what I mean is third metals, third skin, third third fabric. So there's not any a straightforward way of saving time there. So I went for the Zenithal Highlight. Um, and then I'm using, I'm carry on using my method of, of contrast on the flesh and on the... Um, the cloth bits and things, keeping it simple, saving time, and I'll just go and paint the, the metals by hand. That's the method I'm going to use. So I've just been going through and um, starting all the flesh. So it's going to be laborious because I've got about 35, 40 of the inventory to do before I get on to um, doing the troll and the, and the balrog. Um, but they have to be done. They have to be done for December. So I've got about a month. Um, they have to be done so we can record... Um, Khazad-dum and um, um, Ballads 2 which are the last two scenarios we're planning on covering as part of our little series of the sort of deep delve into Quest of the Ringbearer from from February onwards we're going to be looking at some other things um, so yeah so those are, there's a start um, and then I started building Smaug so I, I really wanted to just casually throw it out there <laughs> <laughs> It won't take me that. sounds crazy. It won't take me that long once I get going. Um, no, it's quite a. It's, it's a big intimidating model. Is, but if you've done the intimidating models parts. before, it's, yeah, and there's no, not that many no. parts to it. They really, they really aren't. Um, there's a few fiddly bits that are going to be annoying, but the main chunky bits, um, not ninety percent of the model. It, it, there's not many parts. There's more parts in, in lots of smaller tank kits. Um, in many ways um so i'm not too worried about that uh, i promised when i did sort of early youtube videos and i did an unboxing for it that i would do some videos about um the process it's not going to be a full tutorial of how to paint and build smog because i want to enjoy doing it i don't want to kind of make the whole thing it's just a filming process but it's going to be a progress report but there are going to be tips and things in there and i and i did say that one of the first videos i i did is going to be what preparation you know preparing the model what tools are used to deal with large resin model especially whether you've got big chunky gates and things on it which you need to cut off and how best to do it a lot of people might pick that up only having you know standard 28 mil models and um cavalry and if they did have a dragon maybe it was a, a gw resin one or something a lot lot smaller so i, I just i'm just going to put some short videos together saying what i'm using um and then i might do bits of the build so I'm not going to film me building the whole thing, but I might film me doing the process of preparing and gluing one leg on and gap filling and all those bits and then record that as a little video and then do the rest off camera, so to speak, um, just so people get an idea. So it's a bit of a tip, some tips and tutorial in there, but not a full build tutorial because I just think you'll get crazy 
and hats off to you YouTubers who do these full sort of hour long tutorials and stuff because it just takes forever to edit and it takes forever to upload afterwards as well. It's just it's just mind numbing sometimes. Um, but I, I have recorded already a video um, this week and I've nearly finished editing it. I just realised that the intro and outro that has got the wrong logos on. Um, so I'm going to have to redo <laughs> a new intro and outro or find a way of slamming the new logo on until I can work out. I'm not going to go to um, what what Damien was doing for the uh, GBHL when he'd lost the logo. It just says sing, him singing GBH logo with it just into plain text. I don't think they will go that far. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I've been doing. So there's a video there being edited. I will probably wait until I do the first building stage and release both videos almost back to back because otherwise it's a little bit boring watching a 15 minute video of me um, washing a model talking about how to wash resin and look at the tools I've got look at my files and glue it's not exactly the most exciting thing so those people who um, know all about all that stuff can kind of almost skip that first video a little bit and what we'll go straight to the, the video too when I start building it um, but yeah that's 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 me really it's all about it's all about the Moria stuff now for in terms of the show and for the last two scenarios we're going to do. I've got the got the board I've started to plan out as well. So it's all about building that two by two board and um, painting that Moria army essentially. Um, it'll get done. But um, yeah, a little way to go. Hopefully there'll be more progress by the time we record at the end of the month. Otherwise I probably will be a bit behind and it'll put pressure on us. Um, but that's me. Um there's been some news, and oh, I say news. There was a teaser put up, wasn't? I'm going to call this a teaser. They they put just randomly. There was that one pager talking about the March of the Ents, wasn't there? Yes, yes, there is. Although, so I'll, we can speculate then, doesn't, can't we? It's speculation and conjecture at this point. <laughs> I think uh, somewhere, if he's listening to us, Rob's going to be laughing because you know what it'll be. We'll be thinking it'll be Ents, and the next thing he'll be releasing was will be some kind of. I don't know, personalities of uh, <laughs> Lorien or something, and you'll get random elf holding you a three or whatever. But yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I've my theories would be based around. I like to I like to have some logic in my theories rather than just kind of like right, this is going to be out. Um, my logic would be is that they promised and they've said that they're going to make a model for all profiles that are going to come out. So we can kind of trust that's their plan. And we know that there are, there are, there are end profiles in Warren Rohan that don't have a model as yet. We know that this time of the year, we would have been edging towards Throne of Skulls. And in the evening of Throne of Skulls, there's usually a little seminar, isn't there? Um, yes, that's true. And they quite often announce things coming up like they did last year. Now, I know that their timetables are going to be all over the place now. Um, and there's lots going on. And um, I think Rob and Jay are, are running um, Blood Bowl as well now, aren't they? I think um, that's... Um, I saw Rob actually mentioned that. I think I don't know if it's the first time I've seen him mention in a comment that he's doing that as well on uh, in, in a group or something the other day. So Yeah, Jay definitely wrote it. So, uh, so I think they're managing that as well, which is which is cool. This is a really good game. I haven't played it for years, and I will will get back into it at some point. But um, um, I imagine that uh, well, I imagine that game's in good hands. Um, but you want to buy a dog? You have team, do you? 
<laughs> no, the, the, the if I if I get back into it, I'll want those halflings because they're amazing, but they're also awful. Um, and I'll only end up really playing it. I'll play it with the wife. I think I might mention this story on here before. So I got the wife playing Blood Bowl about eight or nine years ago. Um, it's the only. It's the first. She didn't really play war games, but she didn't really care what the models were. She just saw it as a sport. Um, she likes sports and things, so she saw it as a sport recreation on a board game. Um, so she can play it with, you know, she can play it with counters. It doesn't really matter to her. They're just profiles on a, with a sport-related sort of board ch- chess tile game sort of thing. So she, so she could play the game quite well, or quite competitively. And I was humans, and she was the orcs, and she just she did say, "Well, these ugly models are a bit ugly." And I had some loads of skate. I had loads of old fantasy skaven, so I converted her a skaven team. I said, "Look, you can be rats. You like rats." Um, and then lost all the time because they're too bloody quick. Uh, <laughs> See, I've recently replayed it, and you just uh, smashed me all the time. So we, uh, so we stopped playing. Obviously. Yeah, <laughs> it's just frustration with painting. Um, how marriages get through playing blood bowl? I don't know. More power to you. Well, the, to that's my point about halflings, though, is that if I ended up buying blood bowl, I think most of the time I'd be, it'd be a game that we that we cracked out in the evening every now and then because we do like to play board games and things we normally play things like carcassonne and small world and um, pandemic it's probably not a good game to play at the moment but it, it is a good game to forget what forget the year <laughs> um but yeah she'd play she'd play it but then i'd have you know i'd have to say do you mind playing goblins just so that you don't smash me every time which you probably wouldn't be interested in so that's what puts me off halflings because i'm not very good at games and halflings really are a kind of natural handicap aren't they that's <laughs> one way of putting it and i don't i don't really don't need the handicap in, in games like that that i don't play very often but anyway um so anyway i've, I've interrupted my own kind of um you've uh, tangented on your yeah, tangent. i've tangented on my tangent. i i wonder whether soon they've got some news out wise that is just a guess i just that's my guess they put that out and i'm sure it's not just my guess either i imagine a lot of people have put two and two together and think they've made four and i think i've made four there so it wouldn't surprise me if at some point in the next month or so there isn't a kind of coming soon or a a, a shot or or even if they do don't know maybe they'll when we've missed these kind of announcement things you get those um, weekends on warcom don't you where they have people on and talk about the releases and stuff maybe there'll be something like that for middle earth maybe they won't but but maybe we'll hear some news soon about um some more stuff and maybe answer included that's just a guess just a guess based on that but it's, otherwise it seems a bit random but then warbats are random <laughs> yeah i'd still say it's you know uh, ent is more of a four than point yeah it would be fun to see i just don't think that's going to happen for a long time yet um if at all so we'll see how that goes but i mean yeah. i love those warbats yeah yeah and bats. i'm looking forward to them coming out i will be as i said on the last show i will be purchasing some um and i do you know if i've got loads of plastic ends to convert but um you know me i mean everyone listeners to the show are going to know what my plans are for my throne of skulls board which is now next year's board um so they'll know I'll be excited if there are new ones coming out. So I'm just hopeful that that we're going to get some news. I don't I don't necessarily think anything new will come out soon, but I wonder if we would get a, you know, when I mean, you get like a tiny bit of an image to say we're working on this coming at some point in the future. But who knows? Who knows? We shall see. But it got me excited when I saw it anyway. I thought like, there, there is hope, there is a chance that we may get some news about something or other. 
But yeah, yeah. well, we can always hope. Fingers crossed. We certainly can. Right. Shall we take a break? Yes. I think so. Yes. Yes. I think so. (laughs) That's what we should say. say Let's take a break and we'll come back with uh, Council of Elrond. The hour grows late and bland of grey plastic comes seeking my counsel. You are sure of this, Blandalf? Yes, the event is fully painted. It was in the event pack, under my nose the whole time. Yet you did not have the wit to see it. Your love for the Facebook group has slowed your mind. We must join him, Blandalf. The commission painter, we must be fully painted. When did Surly Man the White give in to madness? But I am now Surly Man of many colours. Miniature Realm Studio is a commission painting service. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Or contact us directly at miniaturerealmstudio at gmail.com. You have elected the way of paint. Welcome back off the break and here with another Council of Elrond. So um, just a bit of a recap for those of you who may be finding this the first episode. So we've been um, doing a bit of a deep delve on the Quest of the Ringbearer book. We did a full book review um, and then we've kind of focused on the narrative side of things with the lockdown that we are in at the moment or the, the, the kind of the plight of the world is a bit harder to, well, it's impossible to get to events for, for many people in many countries um, and this book seemed to arrive at the right time um and then we can't get together we're a hundred odd miles apart anyway and um and we wouldn't be getting together at the moment the way things currently are so we were looking at scenarios that we could play online so we've used a top-down camera using a a video link card um, and then for the larger games the four by four games we've actually used sort of video messaging services and and walking around with a live camera so to speak to, to play the games and because they're generally low model count it's worked really well and we've had some quite quite good games um so we we planned out the ones we were going to do <coughs> excuse me we planned out the ones we we're going to do um a little while in advance a lot of it picked down to sort of model collections things we liked um what we could feasibly do um remotely so i.e not the big scenarios at the end of the game with thousands and thousands of points worth of miniatures because we were you know we would just take forever to play so picking these fun fellowship based scenarios really um and we've we've done Weathertop already, um and we've done Shalob's Lair and um Tame and Shmeagol. Tame and Shmeagol. Yes. So today we've kind of gone back towards the beginning of the the journey again, um and we've done Farmer Maggot's Crop just because it looks different and cool, um Buckleberry Ferry um just because it it's it's kind of a really cool little scene, well known scene from the, from the film, and neither have ever played it before, and then Nazgul and Bree because. Well, the thought of playing in Bree is really, really cool. We've got the new um, four-job miniatures that just come out. So we've got um, Harry Goatleaf and, and Butter, a Butterman and Butterbeer. So we thought we'd pick those three. As we mentioned in the, the outro, we've got some more coming up. Sorry, we mentioned in the beginning of the show, we've got some more coming up as well. So the final two we're going to do in, in the coming up, you know, coming up shows toward, in December and January, we're going to do... Um, uh, Barlin's tomb. tomb. Yeah, I couldn't spit it out. Um, Thanks, Dan. Bridge of Casadum. Bridge of Casadum, and um, they're both. Well, Barlin's tomb is a two by two board, so that works well for us, sort of filming and playing over line and stuff. Anyway, so that's what we've been doing for those of you that haven't listened to other shows. Um, other people are doing it as well. I know um, Harry over Ent- Entmoot has just put a, his latest episode out, and he's played his way through the first six or seven, I think. Um, we're all doing it. Yes. Sl- we're all doing it slightly different ways. We're, the, the way we've been doing it, we've been playing it 
Um, but we've also been going back and looking at older editions and a bit of a comparison. Um, so we tend to be delving into the journey books and battle games in Middle Earth, and it, that's no different this time round. Um, um, we look at um, battle games in Middle Earth 61 for Nazgul and Bree and the Fellowship Journey book for Buckleberry Ferry. Exactly. We've had to do homework for you people, so, you know... <laughs> <laughs> we ha- and we have for the last few shows and this kind of started when we we started planning our helms deep um big helms deep game that we're going to play next year because we really wanted to kind of real deep delve into it we ended up looking at loads of different articles and loads of different versions of, of the scenario to try to pick the bits we like best and we thought this is quite nice to talk about so as we've been playing these scenarios we've kind of given it the same treatment but on a kind of a, a smaller scale um so let's crack into it the first one though farmer maggot's crop as far as we're aware there's not been any previous incarnation of it or anything really really similar um so what we'll do is dan you're going to read through the scenario and 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 how it works and then we're going to talk about our game indeed so let's begin father maggot is a well-respected member of the shire community a stubborn and practical fellow who devotes his time to the crops that he grows rather than other goings on in the shire it is said that maggot's crops are the best in all the four farthings his carrots are without peer his cabbages tastier than others and, but it is mushrooms that are pride of maggot's crop, envied across the Shire, especially as all hobbits are rather fond of mushrooms. So basically, it's about the four hobbits, so Frodo, Sam, Merry and Pippin, attempting to essentially steal crops from Farmer Maggot, which is a bit naughty, um, which is actually reflected in the only time that you are ever going to see, under the title of evil, Mr. Frodo Baggins. Mm-hmm. So they are Frodo Baggins, Samwise Gamgee, and Muradoc Baranibuk, and Peregrine Took are the evil characters. Uh, and Farmer Maggot is the good character. So to begin at the top, we're looking at a 4x4 board. Um, there is a placement of a 6x4 in terms of inches field that's placed right in the centre of the board. Uh, Farmer Maggot's farmhouse is uh, placed to the north of that, 6 inches from the board edge. The... Uh, Doghouse or the kennel is, uh, or the palatial palace, according to Damien, <laughs> is placed within six inches of Farmer Maggot's house. And then a stash is like a stash marker is placed within 12 inches of the southern board edge. So uh, the hobbits deploy within three inches of that. Farmer Maggot is, is in his house and the dogs are deployed at the kennel. So uh, the, basically, the layout of the board is to represent the uh, homestead of Farmer Maggot and the surrounding area. And uh, where the hobbits, the uh, sneaky little blighters, are coming in to steal Farm Maggot's mushrooms. So, starting positions Grip, Fang, and Wolf are deployed touching the kennel. Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin are then deployed within three inches of the stash marker. Farmer Maggot will be available later. The objective is the hobbits are out for a quick and tasty plunder and open to get it from Maggot's crop. Farm Maggot, however, does not take kindly to those who steal from him and will do what he can to fend off thieves. The evil side wins immediately if they can gather five plunder tokens at the stash marker. The good side wins if all the hobbits flee before this can happen. So uh, this game doesn't uh, really follow the normal rules apply for gaming in general. Middle-earth strategy battle game. So in this scenario, the hobbits are wounded in a special way. Frodo, Sam, Merry and Pippin have three wounds each, but no might, will or fate. If one of the hobbits suffers three wounds, the amount of dog bites and bruises they have gathered is enough to make them flee. Remove them from the board. Frodo may not use the ring in this scenario. So it's basically entitled under definitely not life or death. So it's a different way to play. So, for instance, um, Merry and Pippin go up by two wounds apiece, but they lose any fate. So that actually becomes slightly more durable. 
and uh, Sam and Frodo receive a small boast as well. So, um, Farmer Maggot. Should Maggot hear his dog barking, he'll quickly go outside to see what the commotion is all about. If any dog suffers a wound, then Farm Maggot has been alerted. At the end of each good move phase after this condition has been met, and after all other good models have moved, roll a d6. On a 3+, plus, Farm Maggot is placed touching his house. Farm Maggot may not charge on the turn he arrives, but otherwise act normally. So essentially, if the dogs engage the hobbits, and the hobbits manage to remove one, then uh, on a 3+, plus, Farm Maggot can be placed uh, during the good at the end of the good movement phase. So no hobbit may make strikes against farm maggot or target him with stones. So basically they don't want to hurt him. Um, should a dog suffer a wound, it will not be slain. Instead, it is removed from the board in the kennel. And it's under that condition, which you can then start rolling for farm maggot. A dog sent to the kennel in this way may not do anything else unless farm maggot touches the kennel, at which point the dog can then act as normal. Additionally, farm maggot and his dogs have the terror special rule in this scenario. Uh, for those who've read the book, we'll know that uh, Frodo, ever since his youth, has been in terror of Farmer Maggot and his dogs. So that is a really nice crossover from that. I do enjoy that. And Loot and Plunder. So if during the end phase of any turn, any of the Hobbits field and did not fight or shoot that turn, they immediately gain a Plunder token, this satellite object. If a Hobbit carrying a Plunder token is charged or charges, it will immediately drop the token within one inch of itself. Hobbits may only carry one plunder token at a time and may only voluntarily drop them when in base contact with the stash marker. So essentially, Hobbits have to run in, sit in the field, grab the objective markers and basically run back. Obviously, there's only four Hobbits, so they're going to require at least two runs to get there. And the dogs and farmer maggot are going to attempt to stop. Also in the designer's notes, it is noted that uh, you could play as four players playing the side of evil, one for each Hobbit and then the good player playing with all the good models so you can play as five players rather than two so lots going on there yes yeah for, for a really and it is a really simple scenario but there's a lot of words there compared to some of the others that are a little bit more straightforward in terms of what you've got to do um it breaks down really really easily as soon as you yeah. actually look at it in context it's, it's really delightfully simple yes yeah i'd say um the first things for, for when we start playing it is that the layout is quite important. Um, not so much the, the the whole of the board, and we'll come back to that a little bit later. But the positioning of the stash and the field, the farm and the the kennels, um, is quite important that you position them as close to as they're laid out on their board in terms of distances from the edge of the board and things. Because I think it's quite important in terms of the the distance dogs have to travel and etc etc to make it all work. Um, I think there's been some time put into that, um, but um, yeah, I, I, we had lots of fun doing it. Um, definitely, it was nice getting out those. Mo- you know, after painting models for it, um, I think um, I already had a field thing, um, but I, I had a. I think what did I use? I used a four grand building as the farmstead. I think in the yes. pic- I think in the picture in the book they show the Hobbit hole from memory from the from the book from the from Lord of the Rings the book. Um, yeah, it's a brick think, house. The brick house, I think, rather than a, a Hobbit a hole in that, in that part of the Shire. They didn't, there wasn't so many Hobbit holes, but so, um, and then for the 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 kennels, I bought a, a little foreground outhouse, a little latrine, um, which was probably big enough. Um, it wasn't as you know, it was no Taj Mahal like Damien's. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Very well looked after those dogs. Yeah. Palatial. <laughs> um, but 
it worked, seemed to work really, really well. And it looked cool on the table. And uh, we shared pictures at the time of the setup, I think. Um, what I'll do is with this show, I will, when I post the show up, I will add, I will t- add in some of the pictures of actual gameplay. Um, so if, if you're interested to listen to this, you can go and find the post on whatever social media it was. And there'll be a few pictures of the game going on as well. I'll, I'll make sure I add those in so you can have a little flick through and see what we're talking about. Um, so let's talk about our game then. So Dan was Dan was writing notes as I was moving models and things around. And, and we I think those of you who listened to the last show will know that I don't remember games very well. Um, <laughs> I remember who won and lost, but I don't remember what happened. But uh, um, this was, um, I would say... We played it twice. Let's talk through the first game, the game we played on the full-size board. Because we, we have, um, yes. So, so uh, I, I played Hobbits, Evil, The Hobbit, which got quite confusing because normally when you're looking at Frodo, in the case of a duel perhaps, um, you roll off on the dice uh, yes. if you have equal fight value and then you're thinking actually... Frodo actually wins this on a one, two, or three, not a four, five, or six. Bit confusing. <laughs> it did make you think. Yeah, we we confused ourselves a couple of times by uh, going doing a roll off and going, "No, you won. No, you won." Oh, actually, yeah, we got it right. But minor things, just us being stupid. Um, so um, Stu played quite aggressively. He uh, fired the dice, and uh, to be fair, I played equally aggressively. I went straight for the blooming field, didn't I? Um, I think that's the only thing to do, really, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's pretty straightforward objectives. If if you if one person plays aggressively and the other doesn't, the person that's aggressive will will, will win. Um, so I think it's very just a straightforward objective, really. I don't think there's any I, I, I message in if you're ears, but I don't think there's any subtlety to it. Um, Not particularly. I just went in and tried to clobber as many dogs as possible, and then try and get some early stash markers in. Yeah, which to be honest worked really well for me it because did. I managed to take two of the dogs out really, really fast. I think that was key, really. I think that's the thing, isn't it? You you sending dogs back to that kennel quite quickly. There were two two things I felt that that kind of um, controlled the narrative of that game. Because in terms of getting to the field and picking up a stash marker, that's the same for whoever plays the hobbits. As long as you go straight to the field, <laughs> if you if you try yeah. anything else, then that's your own fault. I think. Um, so it's a lot. What it really comes down to is the dogs get there in about turn three. Um, I think if you set the board up you know, right, I think the distance means that it's about the third turn they're going to get to the bottom corner of the field because you're supposed to have fenced the field off. Um, and I think that's quite important from the the way that the game's played. I think you're supposed to have fenced it off so that the hobbits are going to get into the bottom. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it was the third turn. They were easily then. They were only a few inches away. It's about the third turn they were getting there. And... Um, I think I don't know. It just felt it felt like you were. It was the, the rolls weren't. It wasn't too much in your favour, but you were. No, you were, you were sending but the dogs back. I made use of Frodo's courage, particularly yes. to make hold the dogs off to get the others in and out of the field. Exactly. So I set off quite an early lead. Uh, picked up three, three markers. Three straight away. Sam, yeah, I used uh, Sam, Merry, and Pippin. Because I managed to clobber the dogs quite early, uh, sent two of them back in your roles to try to get them back into play. Well, even just to get Farmer Maggot to appear were appalling. You just couldn't roll that three plus to begin with. No, and then when that I really unstrung you, and then exactly you kind of need that otherwise you can't get the dogs back. And you, I think you sent two off quite quickly. Um, and yes, then, and then held the last one up with Frodo. That's right. And then when I, the other thing I did, so I, obviously you got removable roofs on these foreground buildings. So I put Maggot in his farm. Um, and then when I did roll the three plus, I pushed him out of his door 
Um, and then you want to move him towards the kennel. And it took me two turns to get to the kennel before you can start. But you need to be touching the kennel, essentially. Um, and that matters. Um, and then you look at the, after the game, I look back at the layout of the board. And we didn't do anything wrong with the layout. But there's supposed to be a six-inch gap um, between the kennels and the, and the farm. And there was. But I suppose someone who thinks about it in terms of, we were just like plodding along narratives as me pushing my model out the actual door, thinking that looks cool. Um, but the, the closest edge of the building to the kennel was only six inches. So I could have placed him touching the edge of the farmhouse anywhere. Yeah, he could have made it. Like, yeah, he could have made it. He obviously doesn't move six inches, but he would have, I think, yeah, it was nearly three turns, wasn't it? It, it took him, yeah. it took him, he would have got there a t- turn earlier as well so just those little things so and i don't suppose that matters because we could you you and i could have gone yes he's come out the door but we'll you know we, he takes two turns essentially together so it's it's a narrative game but we didn't think about that till afterwards we just played it as it is but afterwards when you're talking about it, you're thinking oh yeah that uh, by playing it so realistically there it actually cost a turn um so that's what why Partly why I made a comment about really thinking about what you're doing and make sure I think the game will play quite quite, quite differently if you don't put the fences around the field. Um, um, you need some other stuff there as well. So on the, the map, they do there's some trees. We mostly got it in the same place, um, but you do need to make sure that the dogs um, can't get to where the hobbits are in the field within a turn or two. They need needs to be sort of at least two turns for those little four-inch hobbit legs to try and uh, give them a chance to get away. But then also, if you've... You know, as I said, if you if you don't roll the three up and you, you you hamstring yourself by a turn to get you <laughs> to get your farmer there, actually makes a difference quite quickly as well. So quite like you said, quite early on you were three stashes up. Um, but again, I think you could play it a few times and, and get a couple of different results, and a lot of it will come just come down to those um, whether you're able to, to to send the dobs yelping back or not, or whether you get the wounds on on the hobbits. And I wasn't wasn't able to do that. I didn't really bite any hobbits. No, um, I lost a couple of wounds here and there, but survived and uh i did get my five stash markers and take the win on that yeah, one yeah so, very, uh, very easily very easily really I don't, yeah as i said i didn't i didn't take a single hobby off the board and then i don't think um i had after then apart from that initial term and all three dogs arrived um there wasn't another point in the game where we had a moral in play no. we had a moral in play and most of the time it was just one dog there trying to deal with four hobbits so you know he, it just doesn't doesn't don't really work but again that was just you know we played it once and um we thought we'd see how it goes and then so we're talking about it afterwards and i had this theory that with a game and i talked about it a lot, little bit in the last show with a game of this low model count it's a shame that it's on such a big board and i thought well does it need to be on such a big board and listening to harry on Entmo, he said exactly the same thing um, we, by this point, we'd already played the game when I was listening to to Harry's um, um, show, and he said it. You know, it would probably work on a two by two board, and it's exactly what we were listening to. It going, yes, it's exactly what we did. So, um, if you cut a two by two board out of the middle of the four by four board in terms of the layout, you actually have the farm touching the edge of the two by two board, and then you have the kennel in right in the top left hand corner, six inches away from the farmstead. And then you moved your stash to the bottom right-hand corner of the two-by-two board, still keeping you, obviously, your field in the middle. The distances that you are travelling from all of those points essentially stay the same um, because we, me- we measured it all up from the main board. So you can, as long as you move the gap in the, the gate, the gap in the fence for the field to that bottom right-hand corner of the field as well, the distances that the hobbits have got to travel from the stash to the gate 
and the um, the dogs have got to travel from the kennel to where the, the, the hobbits are getting in and out the field from is still three turns, essentially, three turns movement for the dogs and the same amount of movement for the hobbits. So it essentially doesn't change anything. So we thought, all right, we'll try it again and see if it works. And, and then the game didn't really go in a sense that... Um, Your rolling was essentially appalling. Um, yeah. My dog so, bit you to pieces. Yes. Because we swapped sides. Yes, we swapped we swap sides. And it, it, the, the, the result of the game didn't really support I don't know I don't know what would support the argument that the 2x2 two two board works other than we played it and it made the actual size of the board made no difference to what was going on um, it just means you could you could play on a smaller area um, so I you know I encourage people to try it out it just means for such a small game like that it means you can whack it on a coffee table or on your normal dining table and um, you know something I'll, I'll get my, my son to play because I think he could probably just about manage that he's six next week so it's the kind of little, little cool introductory game or, you know, like we, I think we said on the last show, if you're having a games night with some mates and stuff and you've, you've played a couple of board games and you've got 20 minutes spare at the end and they're not normally miniature gamers, I think you could probably, and they, but they like Lord of the Rings, you could probably sort of whack out, make up a two by two board and just sort of do that and it's good. So give it a go. But yeah, the two by two game, we, um, I didn't win a single, pro- no, I did, I won priority once, didn't I? Uh, in the two by two. Uh, I think once in did. the whole game. Wasn't it once in the whole game? I can't remember. Uh, that was more... Um, no, that might have been a later thing. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it, was very, it was very little poor. in this one either. But yeah, it was, it was just... Um, yeah, it was... It was just very one-sided. Um, and... Um, I, I ganged up dogs as much as possible and you just couldn't win. I couldn't win a single combat, could I? And that's what it was. Something like that. I didn't, I didn't wound... I didn't wound once did i so at no, no point not did any wound. of the dogs go back to the the, the kennel which was the almost the opposite to what you played it was just very swingy with the dice um, and it happens like that sometimes um and it's one of those kind of scenarios that when it happens like that you just gonna you get bogged down quite quick and nothing much happens but it's still good fun and it's, it's incredibly simple and then you're going to get that with this kind of thing but it's definitely fun it's got a, a little bit of replayability to it you probably want to keep playing it over and over and over again but you can definitely get a definitely get a good couple of games out of it and, and swap it swap sides sort of thing and maybe play it again a month or so later whether you kind of you know not the kind of game you're going to keep playing year and year on end sort of thing but it was good fun i enjoyed it um very much what it says on the tin and very low model counts so have some fun with it um right then so the next one up is buckleberry ferry um, and this one actually has an older edition of, um, as you can imagine, no surprise. And there may be more, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that the only original version um, for this was in the Fellowship edition of Battle um, of the Journey Book. Sorry, Fellowship Journey Book. So the scenario is scenario four, page 26, Buckleberry Ferry. Um, and it's uh, a little bit more book related and it's sort of set up rather than film related. So, so having spent an evening in the care of Gildor and his companions, Frodo and his two friends set out for Buckland and knew the following day. Made more cautious by their close call with the ringwraiths, they cut across country before long and find themselves at Maggot's Farm, a place well remembered by Frodo for many abortive scrumping raids as a child. After a pleasant evening accompanied by an even more pleasant and much appreciated meal with Farmer Maggot and his family, Frodo and his companions set off for Buckleberry Ferry, concealed by both newly risen mist and a cart on which they ride. 
though they reached the river meadows without incident, and even encounter Merry upon the way, who was become concerned about their late arrival, they must still reach the ferry um, before all threat from the Black Riders has passed. In the swirling mists, the hobbits pick their way down to the venerable ferry station, ever alert for the sound of hoofbeats ringing out of the still air. So, the participants are the, the four hobbits, um, and three ring wraiths. Um, and it's uh, so Frodo doesn't carry sting or wear the mithril coat. Um, and then the ring wraiths have a minimum amount of might, will, and fate, as described in the main rules manual. So this is dating back a few years, um, but it's the same as same as now, essentially, isn't it? So it's um, zero seven zero. Um, this represents the fact that Sauron's power is still building and even the most deadly servants are not yet at full strength. Um, the scenario is played on a 4 by 4 table representing the meadows adjoining the Brandywine River. The river itself is about 8 inches wide and lies 6 inches from the east end, um, east table edge. The ferry lies in the middle of the western riverbank. A line of hills is about 6 inches from the western bank. A thin strip of heavily wooded land lines the hills to represent this with a double row of trees about three inches wide and a a row of hedges on the far bank of the river so it gives you a nice sort of idea of the layout there's a good picture as well with all the measurements on there excuse me starting position of the good player deploys Frodo, Sam, Merry and Pippin in the good deployment zone see map that's basically a six inch wide strip down the middle of the board (coughs) Um, um, and then the evil player then deploys a single ring wraith in the evil deployment zone um, and that is six inches in from the um, the western board edge, isn't it? Um, in its own little six-inch strip. Um, the remaining rim ranks are then deployed touching the western board edge. So they're a little bit further back. Objectives. Frodo must make his way to the ferry and escape the pursuit of the ring race by moving off the board from the eastern edge. The evil player must prevent this by killing Frodo. So really, really simple. You are escaping off the board to the to the Buckleberry Ferry across the river um, and the wraiths have got to stop you and it's only Frodo that needs to get across um, in order to win. Special rules, the search. The Nazgul follow the rules for centuries to describe in the main rules manual as they're almost completely unaware of Frodo's presence at the start of the game. The good player may move the ring wraiths during the first turn. In addition, as creatures of the spirit world, the Nazgul have poor daylight vision. All good models count as wearing elven cloaks for the purposes of this scenario which is quite cool. The cry of the Nazgul. Once per game, the alarm has been raised in the priority phase, but before any dice have been rolled, the evil player may choose to unleash the piercing wail of the Nazgul. This terrible cry freezes the hearts of all who hear it. Accordingly, the duration of the turn, all models on the good side have their courage reduced by three points. And the ferry. The ferry can be removed at a rate of... um, 2d6 centimeters or d6 inches a turn um roll each time it's moved there must be at least one model on the ferry to move it in this manner that seems to make sense models on the ferry cannot themselves move during in which the ferry moves unless the result of the heroic action or a magical power heroic actions cannot be used to move the ferry um and the brandywine um should a model find itself in the river either by choice or accident it uses the swimming rules the main rules manual however the hobbits have a 
great fear of water. Any hobbit in the river, not counting those on the ferry, must make a courage test before rolling on the swimming chart. If the test is failed, they must move towards the nearest bank of the river as quickly as the swimming chart allows them. The Nazgul will not enter the river under any circumstances. They will get on the ferry if they have to. And and as usual with the Jenny books, there's a little note about um, if you want to make it a points match game, um, it just says choose two forces about the same size. <laughs> well, <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, yeah. So, on that one. yeah. <laughs> God, that's almost as good as some of the early alternative approaches on the Battle Games and Middle Earth books. Um, pretty much as you expect for the old scenario. Obviously, we didn't play the old scenario. Um, Dan's now going to take you through the new edition, so the Crest of the Ringbearer edition, and we can see you know what bits are the same, what bits are different, etc. Um, yeah, so uh, once again, the blurb, very similar header. I won't reread that, but it's much muchness. So layout of the board is a 4x4 board. Um, so what we've worked out is uh, the deployment zone of the Hobbits is from the western board edge. So um, there's a 6-inch gap, so they're deployed 6 inches in and then up to 6 inches further into the board. So up to 12 inches on, but more than 6 inches away from the uh, western board edge. So it's like a strip deployed in. And then the ring wraiths deploy in a three-inch strip down the centre of the board from south to north. Yeah. The uh, There's no particular amount it gives you in terms of the width of the uh, actual river. doesn't, doesn't really it, say. It doesn't uh, say six inches somewhere? Maybe it doesn't, actually. Yeah, it's probably me trying to remember something. No, else. it doesn't on this one. Uh, it tells you the ferries in the middle of the board in terms of from north to south. Yeah, uh, it doesn't give you a, an approximate width of the ferry, nor distance from the board, the eastern board edge, from the bank of the river. Yes, um, yeah. I think it allows you to basically look, make a rough guess to the agreement of both players. Obviously, these are narratives. Oh, it, it does say six inches, right? So the layout, so the board represents the Brandywine River and the surrounding area. The Brandywine runs from north to south, six inches away from the eastern board oh, edge, yes, and should be six inches wide. Um, yeah, so I knew I'd read it somewhere before, and I couldn't remember if it was crossing over with the other one it was eight. But yeah, six inches away, which is the same as the other one, and six inches wide, which is... Um, smaller. The same as, um, so, is it smaller? Yeah, I think so. It was eight last time. Yes. Um, so basically, the area of the board, at least eight inches away, 18 inches, sorry, from the eastern board edge should be densely packed with trees, hedges and bushes. Uh, so, lots and lots of woods. Uh, so, the starting positions are very sort of centre line. So that, uh, that's slightly different, south. isn't it? Is it because I think the centre line for the previous one for the for the race was six inches wide, so it's like a narrower strip that they fit in, and they're all going in it rather than just one with the others being behind the Hobbit, so to speak. Yes. That's slightly different. So, Objectives. Uh, Frodo must not let the ring fall into the and must escape them using the Buckleberry Ferry to cross the river. The good player wins if Frodo can escape the board via the eastern board edge. The evil player wins if Frodo is slain. So, pretty simple. So, special rules. The search, once again. Uh, so, the Nazgul follow the rules centuries as described in the Middle-earth Ratchet Battle Game rules manual. If Frodo puts the ring on, the alarm is immediately raised and each Nazgul move up to six inches towards Frodo if able. So, uh, yeah, pretty self-explanatory on that one. So, uh, do, do you want to go through the sentry rules at all, Stu? Or uh, are we going to assume everyone knows how they work? Um, you, you can do if you want to. Um, yeah, there might be some people that haven't covered it before. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to grab my rule book so I can read the table as clear as it is. 
because it's so easy to paraphrase and get it wrong. <laughs> we don't want to be doing that. Sentries. Some scenarios require the use of sentries. These are models that are unaware of the enemy sneaking and therefore engage them directly until they are discovered. Before each sentry makes their move phase, their controlling player must roll on the chart below to see how they get to move this turn. So a d6 result of 1, the sentry is searching around in its vicinity. It may not move this turn. 2 to 3, the sentry has been distracted by a noise elsewhere on the board. The opposing player may move the model up to half its move allowance in any direction. 4 to 5, the sentry walks carefully to where they believe an intruder to be. The controlling player may move the model up to 3 inches in any direction. On a 6, the sentry is convinced they have spotted an intruder and moved as quickly as possible to investigate. The model may move as normal. So, if during the end phase of any turn there is an unengaged three inches and line of sight of an enemy model, then the alarm has been raised. Once the alarm has been raised, all sentries revert back to the normal rules for movement for the remainder of the game. So that is how the ring riffs work in this uh, particular scenario. Yeah. And, and as we get to, that'll make a difference. So, the ferry. In order to cross the brandy wine, the hobbits must use the ferry for safety. The ferry can be moved at a rate of d6 inches per turn and must have at least one model on it to move. Models on the ferry, whilst it moves, cannot then move themselves unless part of a heroic action or magical power. The ferry cannot be moved as part of a heroic action. Yeah, exactly Pretty the same. same. It's just, yeah. just less words. Yep, and the brandy wine. The brandy wine is deep water. Additionally, any hobbit in the water must make a courage test for rolling on the swim chart. If the test is failed, the hobbit must try to swim towards the nearest bank during that turn. And that school may not enter the water under any circumstances. That's exactly the same so, as well. Again, I think probably yeah. slightly less words, but good. Just tightened up. Yes, yes prior on Asgore, once per game after the alarm has been raised, the player may use this special rule. After priority has been determined, the evil player can unleash the screech of an Asgore. Until the end of the turn, all good models reduce their... Pretty much the same again. And so the participants, uh, good is the four hobbits, Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin. And evil is three remakes with no additional might pull off fate. So zero seven zero. So... Pretty similar all round to the previous edition, much like we found with some scenarios. And indeed, in the Rohan book, it's just a general tightening up of what has previously worked and a binning of what hasn't. Yeah, I think the major difference is that the slight difference in deployment, isn't it? Because I think it's the center strip is six inches in the previous one, only three inches in this. And that's, um, and it's only one ring wraith, I think, isn't it? Unless I read it wrong. I think it's one in ring the, wraith in the old one. Yeah. And the other two go behind. So you've got some, I suppose that. That, that forces the the hobbits forward. If you've got ring wraith directly behind them, I think it's on the western board edge, isn't it? The other one. So that that's quite different. Yeah. Um, but the rest of it's almost exactly the same, if if not exactly the same. I suppose the other thing is is, is there's a lot more trees. It's recommending that you're rather than having a, a you know the bit of buckleberry hills and stuff like that. And um, the board we did, um, I actually did add some slightly different stuff, didn't I? So in the bottom, um western edge corner i put a small field and i had a couple of hills but hills with trees on in the other the top hand side so it's likely is if you were coming away from buckle um into the forest bit um and i did that just because of how many trees i had i wanted to fill the board nicely rather than have any gaps i didn't know at that point um that that's a bit closer to or it's like a cross between that and the the old journey book scenario was just not until i read it then or or read it the other day i didn't realize that that was sort of a bit more of the description i was just going what i knew of the the narrative from the story so it's was quite cool um what did you think of the scenario then i quite enjoyed playing it oh uh, yeah i definitely enjoyed playing it i think um and it's important to note you made us very early the game this out yeah. um it'd be very very easy um 
for the evil player simply to deploy Swing Ring Wraiths directly into the middle of the board and then immediately move straight to the, the ferry? Yes, we, we talk, I, I predicted at the beginning, I said, well, a lot of it, I suppose, depends on how you go with your sentry roll. And that helped me because it... Yeah. I kept. I mean, I, I, kept, I split mine up though. You split them up anyway, but I I won the century. Well, I say one. I was able to move your the your most northern and most southern wraith um, further away. Yeah, further away anyway. So I think even if you hadn't split them up, I could have given myself enough of a gap to get through, and I was just able to push them closer to the edge of the board. I suppose on the old rules, you don't have that issue because you've got two of them behind. Um, yes. but then the other question is do they catch up too quickly but that's but they're on foot aren't they on this they're not on, not on horses so um, again something we notice because you know thematically they ought to be yeah. mounted even if you reduce their movement yeah I mean there's ways around it I remember we were saying at the time we were trying to work out a fair way of doing it and there's nothing stopping you using the mounted model and just using it as foot profile just to make it look more likely the other thing I said was is that you cut down the movement of the horses and just say it's to do with the really dense woodland. Um, but then you, you'd, you'd have to talk about whether you remove the cavalry charge bonus, I suppose as well, because you start knocking, it's, it's you start knocking hobbits down. You're, <laughs> you're making it very easy to make sure they don't get back up again. Um, and, and those little combats are quite useful. Um, I mean, what I tried to do straight away was try to use Mary Pippin, Sam to in, try and engage and open up a, a, a route for Frodo to, to run towards the ferry and that's essentially what I did by being lucky with the uh, first couple of turns with the sentry rolls and able to sort of push your, your north and south race towards the board edges gave me quite a nice gap so by the time you were in full control of your race they were moving back towards the hobbits but I was able to engage you with the other three and I was just well, lucky. Didn't go well for them. They all got murdered. Horribly, they all got but... murdered, but they didn't get murdered straight away, did they? They kind of, they no. kind of, they lasted a couple of turns and and sort of, you know, didn't die, made a fate save, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. They were able to hang around um, for at least a couple of turns, just to slow you down enough that the distance between Frodo and the nearest wraith to him meant that that Frodo was going to get to the ferry. Um, and then right at the end of the game, from memory, he was on the ferry pretty much made it crossing run one because the, the we my river's quite thin but we 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 said it was going to be six inches no matter what anyway we didn't worry about the model we said right well it says a six inch river so let's count up how many on the d6 how many you get across so if we roll four this time we know you've got two more to do before you get there so, it's, so you can get around the size of your terrain your actual ter- physical terrain if you if you need to um, and then you had a chance right at the end, didn't you, to basically back dart him on the other side of the bank? Yeah. As uh, soon as as soon as Frodo's on that um, ferry, and as, even if it moves an inch away, because you can't get to him, yeah. if you've not got enough will, you can't black dart him to death. You managed to take some fate off you, but basically that was the end of it. As soon as he got on yeah. that thing and it moved away, that was it. It was the, the game had slipped by and, that point. And that's where else the the, the hobbits doing that, you know getting lucky and hanging in there for a couple of t- rounds of combat and reducing that that will from those raves being being in combat that, that helped as well because if they were able to sort of stand there and 
ping another round's worth of uh, black darts. Though once you're off the river, the other side, you've you've only got six inches to move. So you'd, you'd have got one more round in, I think. Yeah, they um, both ended up. Darts. I only, only had two rates at the end because you did manage to get one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I did, I uh, yeah. Uh, Sam, I think. Was Mary, it, probably. It was no, it was Mary. Was did it? himself proud. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, Sam, Sam just stood up a little bit longer, but he ended up the same way as Pippin, and then they took their revenge on Mary. Yes. But they both ended up on one wheel each um, because I did try and get a couple of sneaky black darts off at the end. Yeah. And that was the only thing, the only thing to do at that stage. Um, I, I, as I said, as you said at the beginning, it's not a given. You just got some replayability to it. If you're, if you, if you don't, if you have full control of your wraiths, um, you really could just back, back away and form a line in front of the ferry. Um, yeah. It'd be very easy to play this in a, a competitive spirit and just game it out, but we decided to play it narratively yeah. because naturally uh, the ring race would spread out a little bit. And I quite like know, the layout. I'd be problem. interested to play it with everything the same apart from the deployment of the two wraiths behind the hobbits, but 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 remove the the control part for the sentry pit. I wonder how that would work. I don't know. Um, it'd be interesting to play around with a couple of different ways of doing it and play around whether if there was a way of making them mounted um, even if I, even if you just do it with the plug I don't know I don't know if whether you can do it I'm sure they play tested it and worked out that this was the only way of doing it but it's good fun it's good fun definitely um, and um, could you couldn't play on a smaller board because of the you, you need that space to be able to move around the race really otherwise it's just too tight um it'd be nice in many ways to play it on a little little board again because how few models are involved but it did feel like you needed that space especially when you're trying to rush past three ring wraiths who were like forming a defensive line it did feel like a sports game in some way <laughs> it did feel like you're trying to it did feel like you're trying to rush the the, the ferry was the uh the goal line and you were trying to rush frodo for it was the uh the running back or the um whichever uh, Odd shaped ball sport that you want to use as an analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I sm- I prefer small leather balls made white or red that you hit with bats. Um, that the, oh, this is just got awkward, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, cricket analogies don't work with uh, with middle left. Um, I don't. I'm not not sure what else there is to say about the game. Um, there's some there's some useful stuff in in the um, that journey book. Um, there's a lovely tutorial about um, building rivers and a sort of old school style way of doing it with, with wood and, and foam on the edges and stuff um, and there's a nice building guide for making the um, a jetty and the ferry and a ford as well so it's worth having a look if you um, fancy giving this a go and not quite sure how to go about making the terrain um, those of you that have seen follow us on social media will saw that I bought a Green Stuff World neoprene mouse pad um, river essentially to lay on the on the board and the rest of it is all standard trees and hills and stuff anyway and i made a a jetty and a buckleberry ferry using loads of the leftover um bits from the rohan um kits so the uh palisades mostly um and a few other little extra bits as well like a lantern from an old um, empire gunner or something it was like that i can't remember and a little bit of a little bit of rope here and there and stuff but they look quite cool they're fun to do knock them up in no time at all um so there are ways of doing it but they're quite good um little extras in the journey book which you obviously don't get in the newer new edition stuff but it was really fun to play the kind of the seminal um scene from the book again but it's um you can you can whiz quite through quite if we weren't doing this for the show and doing it remotely we could probably get through 
like double the amount of these scenarios in one evening. And that's the other fun thing. We haven't really talked about that actually, is that you could, if you've got the models, you really could say, right, this evening we're going to play, even if you, you, you obviously got the narrative campaign, um, but you could, even without doing it as a campaign, if you just want to try out the, the, your favourite scenes from the film, you could, whip, you know, get through quite a few of these in one evening and have a lot of fun doing it. And that's what, what was one of the, the cool things about it is I know this scene from the film, so you've got a good picture in your mind's eye of how it's going to work. Yeah, definitely. Lots of good fun. Cool. Right, well, so the last one for today's episode was Nazgul in Bree. And I gave that little bit of a an intro earlier when I was talking about why we wanted to, to make sure that we played this one. Um, so Dan's going to take us through um, the older version of this. So when you got onto the later battle games in Middle Earth um, books, they've um, they've moved on quite a lot. They're not quite, you know, they, they appreciate that people have been collecting up to issue sixty one, which is what this is in. Um, your, your standard of understanding of modelling and gaming and, and things have moved on quite a lot. And, and there's some really cool stuff in this. I, I hadn't looked at this until we did research for this, and I, I remember messaging you and saying, "Well, this this issue is really really good." Really, really good. And I've just realised what the, the, the chimneys are for those Brie buildings. I haven't spotted that before. Um, they're, little, they're little pins, aren't they? Yeah, yeah safety attacks. <laughs> they're awesome. Anyway, so I will hand over to Dan. He can talk us through the scenario that's in, in Battle Games of Middle-Earth, issue 61. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, firstly, this issue is actually really, really good. It's the first time I've ever looked at it. To be honest, um, most of the Battle Games in Middle-Earth uh, mags I've not seen and I've only really looked at when we've been looking at them for, you know, a bit of research for episodes, etc. I'm loving the cover. It actually looks like Aragorn's playing the game. <laughs> He's got a bit of a pursed lip look on it. So maybe that's the face that people put out when you put two Iron Hills blisters on the board or something. It just doesn't look very amused. But I do, I do love it. But it's, um, it's actually a really good episode. It's, it's based on Aragorn. It's an Aragorn episode or an Aragorn uh, issue. So the actual scenario, um, Escape from Bree, is, starts on page six. So basically, the, the subheading for this is Frodo and his companions must run for their lives as elves catch up with them, intent on reclaiming the One Ring for their Dark Master. Accompanying the Hobbits is the mysterious Strider who offers to aid them in their quest. So it does touch on the competence, uh, which is the four Hobbits, and... Uh, Obviously, Aragorn uh, is the Strider model, the one that comes in, I do believe, the original Fellowship set. And he was included on the front of the magazine. And then you get more cardboard wraiths. We touched on this before on one of the uh, previous episodes when the, it was the Weathertop, when you got the uh, Witch King and the four other wraiths as cardboard yeah. standees. Yeah, I don't, know, well, once again. I don't know if they were in this issue or just you were, you've, you've collected them all. They were... Um, a later one, I can't. I, I flicked yeah. through the actual actual issue earlier. I've got some pictures at the moment, but and I can't remember if they're in that one or not. But um, but I've picked mine up secondhand anyway, so they may may have not have still been in there. Um, but that's irrelevant anyway. It's uh, yes. Um, it does also on uh, page fourteen. It, it goes through how to build a lot of breed terrain. Actually, to be honest, um, this issue should be worth picking up for anyone wanting to build. This terrain, is the, this is the best own. part of it. I think it was. It's just. It's really quite in depth, isn't it, for a Battle Games Middle Earth? And the quality of what the, the buildings that you you get at the end of it are, are brilliant. They look amazing. Yes, um, the, the, it is really quite uh, you know in depth and a comprehensive um, guide mm. on how to build 
well, not just Middle-earth, but, you know, any kind of scale model of a, you know, fantasy house or even just a, an old sort of you know, Middle Ages house. Yeah, complete with Absolutely interiors fantastic. as well. Yes, which is even more impressive. So worth getting, even if you've got, for instance, um, other, you know, buildings you've made yourself, you could if you wanted to style interiors, you could do it. And it further moves on how to build walls fountains and wells and little bits of stable and all sorts of stuff yeah and larger houses so it gives you an idea for the, for the in construction it's just page after page of it he was kind of as i was flicking through i've always thought well this is gonna be about three or four pages and it just keeps going and keeps going it's something like um there's like 20 pages i think nearly or at least eight or sort of 18 pages worth of um you know how to, how to build these detailed models and then the actual painted stuff they've got in images for the magazine is it's really really cool so definitely check it out yeah and a painting guide for Aragorn as well. And what I also like is they've encouraged you uh, in pack four, you've got the original Aragorn, which is the Helm's Deep Aragorn. Yeah. You've learned more techniques. So here's how to apply those to models you already own. I think that's wicked. Yes, yes, yes. Very cool. It's, it's a really, really good, um, you know, all yeah. round hobby magazine encourages all aspects like so then it goes on to give you the base profiles for everything. Um, notably, the, the horse's movement is six uh, in this, which is covered in the, uh, the scenario. And there's some minor other changes, like uh, Sam's got lower courage in this version than he does uh, in the modern mid-nerf strategy battle game. Yeah. Just a few small differences here and there. So uh, it does cover the gaming area. So the gaming area is a three by three square. So obviously that differs, as still go into, from the uh, recent mm. Quest of the Ring Bearer one. And uh, Aragorn and the Hobbits begin the game in the upstairs room with a prancing pony. So that assumes, obviously, uh, an internally detailed prancing pony. If your in model does not have a modelled interior, start with the heroes as close to the building as possible instead. The evil player then chooses any board edge. The yeah. ring race may begin the game anywhere within six inches of this edge, which is really interesting because they've just gone... You deploy where you like. I think that's really quite interesting. Mm-hmm. It's different, um, isn't it? It's, it's yes. More yeah, without wrecking too much of uh, what's in the rest of the ring barrel one, it's, uh, things are more prescribed in mm-hmm. that. So it gives you a bit more freedom. So um, the scenario special rules, hunting the ring bearer. At the start of this battle game, the ring racers are carefully scouring the town for their quarry, but do not know precisely where the ring bearer is. For this reason, the ring mace may only move at half their normal rate in addition, for the first turn of the game, the ring racer controlled by the evil player is normal, but in every subsequent turn, their movement is controlled by whichever player has priority, which is massive, especially with Stu's rolling. <laughs> While they're searching, the ring race will only dismount in order to enter building. Once the heroes have been spotted, as described below, these rules cease to apply. So that's quite interesting, really. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, so, it's different. Spotting the heroes. The heroes are trying to sneak out of Bree unnoticed to avoid a confrontation with the Ringwraiths, but run the risk of being discovered if they stray into open ground. To represent this, if after both sides have moved, any Ringwraith can draw a clear line of sight to any of the heroes, they will be spotted. If there is a piece of scenery partially obscuring the hero in question, they will only be spotted if the evil player can roll a four or more on the dice. If Frodo puts on the ring, the Ringwraiths will immediately become aware of the hero who will count as having been spotted, even if no line of sight can be drawn. So, to cut onto that part of the ring, the lure of the ring. As the ring race grows nearer, the ring will attempt to manipulate its bearings of revealing its whereabouts so it can return to Sauron. 
If the hero has not yet been spotted and there is a ring wraith within 12 inches of Frodo at the start of any turn, he must take a courage test. If he fails, he'll put on the ring with all the usual consequences. For every additional ring wraith within this distance, Frodo must subtract one from his courage for the purposes of this test. However, for each friendly model within six inches, he may add one. So that's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Now where it gets interesting even further is equipment. This is a little bit more detailed. So during the scenario, Stride is equipped as a ranger of the north, meaning he's not wearing armour, but carries both a sword and a bow. Arable miniature include this pack is ideal for representing him equipped in this manner, which is pretty cool. Yep. In addition, the hobbits have not yet received their swords, and Frodo does not have Sting or his mithril coat. So Frodo and Sam are therefore subject to the unarmed special, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Yeah. Merry and Pippin, on the other hand, have availed themselves of form of a flaming candlestick and a chair, respectively. <laughs> so I, I remember when I was reading that, I thought, this is good. This is this is what goes on in the film, because it, as we'll come to in the, in the latest one. Yeah, you, I just You get your base profile. I, thought, I mean, in this actually tells you, you've kind of, you know, in, in contrast to the latest edition, you don't get your base profile. Um, <laughs> basically, the flaming candlestick is basically the flaming brands from the uh, Weathertop scenario. If you haven't listened to that, essentially it means if the ring wraiths lose a fall, not only do they back away one inch, but then they move their full distance away as well. So they because they're scared of fire. Yeah. So they must pass a courage test if they wish to charge Merry or any good model in base contact with him. So actually that really does affect things. Yes. And uh, in the images, um in the photos, there does appear to be a Merry waving around a flaming candlestick. Oh, that's the that's when they go um that's when they storm in on uh, uh, yes, on Strider. I'll have, I'll have you, you long, long chance. chance. Yeah, so it's that scene. Yes. So maybe that's where they're getting it from. Is that that Sam's holding his fists up, but <laughs> Mary's got a candlestick. Yes, and then uh, Pippin has a a chair, which is a double handed weapon, <laughs> which is hilarious. Oh, so. Dear. Winning the game, if Aragorn and all the hobbits escape by moving off any board edge other than the one the ring race deployed from, the good player wins. So that's pretty brutal. Yeah. Let's get everyone on. That's hard. Uh, well, we'll come to that later. It's that that's that's tough. Yeah. If Sam Merry or Pippin is killed, if the heroes move off the ring race board edge, or if Frodo is wearing the ring when he escapes, the game is a draw. Again, still pretty tough. Yep. <laughs> And then if Frodo or Aragorn is killed, the evil player wins. So for technically they've only got to kill one character to win. Yes. And, and I suppose I suppose they've got reduced movement to start with, which makes a bit of a difference. But um, deploying anywhere on the board and they're on, on horseback, moving at least two inches quicker than the, the hobbits, the same as same as Aragorn, I suppose. But um, it's not it's not easy, but it's been able to stay hidden, isn't it? If you're you need you need a lot of terrain, I think, to play it this way, especially with just line of sight, um, rather than having a distance on it, which we'll come to in the the later scenario. Um, it's cool. It's yeah. different, definitely different, and it's it's encouraging to play in buildings and things as well. Hence, all of the kind of the tutorial about building interiors. You could really, really pack this. I mean, even the picture they've got, they probably don't have enough terrain to play it the way they've designed. You could really, really pack this like. If you built a model that looked like um, Brie in the film with tight, windy streets and stuff, I think it could work really, really well. Um, it could be really fun, and it might work work quite well there. But um, if you don't have enough terrain, 
it's it's not going to work. You're 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 going to die. You're going to get spotted straight away. You're not going to stay out of line of sight. And um, yeah, you definitely need the buildings, a lot of buildings, to make this work. I think, but it's it's still cool. I'd like to try it because it's different enough that I'd be interested to try it. And if we had actually prepped for this this show before we played it, I'd have been tempted to say, "Well, oh, should we should we try this version and just sort of see how they compared?" But um, it's cool. I wouldn't mind trying it out one day. Yeah, definitely. I think we need more terrain though. Yeah, well, I, I might be tempted to buy some, buy some more foreground buildings at some point. But, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I've got a few. Mate. I've, I've probably got more terrain than they have in their picture. And that's a 3x3 three three board, and we played on a 4x4. Four four. So squish all that down to a, especially with the walls and stuff I've got, because um, it'd be different. I think it, it might make a difference. But it'd be cool. It'd be cool. Right then. So the modern version, the one we actually played. So having them made their way out of the old forest, the hobbits find themselves at the gates of the village of Bree, where they are questioned by the aging gamekeeper. Gamekeeper? God. Gatekeeper, Harry Goatleaf. Convincing Harry to let them pass, Frodo and his companions make straight for the inn of the Prancing Pony, where Gandalf has said he'll be waiting for them. Mm, I wonder what happens. Is he there? Um, so the layout of this, as I've already sort of alluded to, is a four by four board. So the boarding presents the village of Bree. Along the western board edge runs the walls of the village, with the gates at the centre of the western board edge and 12 inches from the gates. So I've got some walls and I built bought a um a little gate house um from foreground. And I didn't want to put them right on the edge of the board, so I actually put them the middle part of the walls just in a few inches so it actually looked like the walls were there and you could set up your your um your race on the other side. It didn't really make any difference to the game, but I think it looked a little bit better. So I just kind of had a little indent on the wall, didn't I? Just to kind of so you could see both sides of the, the gate. Otherwise you're kind of I don't know. You you almost don't need the, the walls. No, it's describing you have, yeah, because the walls because there's there's nothing that exists in game. The other side of the wall, it's just it's just edge of board. So actually having it back slightly, even if it's just an inch all the way, makes it look quite cool. Um, but I we we did that anyway. And then in the centre of the board are the doors of the prancing pony facing towards the western board edge. And the rest of the board should have plenty of buildings, walls and other things you may find around the village. And um, I think we had about four or five five um, buildings and I had a mat with roads on it and I had a couple of fields with paddocky kind of things and fences and bushes and trees dotted around. It felt like there was enough terrain on there. It's, you know, it's not Bree that you see on in, in the film by any stretch of the imagination, but that's a lot of buildings. Um, I think we gave a, we mentioned him in the last podcast, but uh, Mark Greentree's board that we saw a picture of would, would work for a perfect Bree in the way we're describing. Uh, but I haven't got the time or the money to, to buy thousands of pounds worth of foreground uh, buildings to do it but it's still cool um starting positions aragorn and the hobbits and Barlament start the game inside the prancing pony and do not start on the board harry goatleaf is deployed three inches from the center of the western board edge um i think i had him in the latrine that was the uh, dog kennel turned into the gatekeeper's hut right next to the gate and I had him sort of there. Um, the ring race will enter the board during the first turn, um, and they come come in through the gate, essentially. 
Objectives: The Nazgul hunt for the ring. Um, the, the Nazgul's hunt for the ring has brought them to Bree, and they will tear the village apart to find it. Frodo must escape Bree if he is to prevent the ring falling into the hands of the Ringwraiths. The good side wins if Frodo, Aragorn, and at least two other Hobbit models escape the board via the eastern board edge. The evil side wins if Frodo is slain. So slightly um, different from the last one. Um, you, you, you can lose a Hobbit essentially um and it doesn't matter if um butterbur or or harry die in terms of the winning conditions special rules move quietly aragon and the hobbits must move quietly without drawing attention to themselves if they are to remain hidden from the ringwraiths good models may not declare an heroic march in this scenario the good models within the prancing pony exit the inn by the door during the good player's first move phase and we've got some I think we've got a note on about the march thing. Um, we'll come back to it later when we talk about the game. Um, next bit, hunting the ring bearer. Whilst the Nazgul know the ring is in Bree, they do not know its exact location. The ring race entered the board at the start of the evil player's first move via the gates. They may charge on the turn they arrive. From the second turn onwards, roll a d6 for each ring wraith before they move. On a 1 to 3, the evil player moves that ring wraith. And on a 4+, plus, the good player moves that ring wraith. This condition ends immediately if the heroes have been spotted. Spotting the heroes, the Nazgul are scouring the streets of Bree in search of the ring bearer. If, after both sides have moved, a ring bearer can draw a line of sight to a good model within 12 inches, so this is a difference from the, the older edition as well, is that there's there's a limit on it, on your, your sight, with the exception of Harry Goatleaf, um, the heroes have been spotted. If the line of sight is obscure, the ring wife must roll a d6 to determine if they can see a model. On a 5+, plus, that model has been seen and the heroes have been spotted. Lower the ring. The ring wants to be found, and knowing that the Nazgul are close, it will try to tempt Frodo to put it on. Before Frodo tries to move, he must make a courage test. If he passes, everything is fine. However, if he fails, he must put the ring on. Frodo serves as an additional minus one to his courage test for each ring race within 12 inches of the first. Frodo gains a bonus of one plus one to this test for each friendly model in base contact. If Frodo puts on the ring, the heroes immediately count as being spotted and each ring wraith may immediately move towards Frodo if able. Um, I don't know if I mentioned the participants, but um, yeah, you've got your four hobbits, Aragorn, um, Barlam and Butterfinger, and Harry Goatleaf on the good side. So you've got two additions versus the Battle Games in Middle-earth um, scenario, and four um, ring waves on horse with no additional might, will and fate, but they're moving at full pet and full full speed no, ridic- no, no restrictions like six inches like on the on the previous one as well um so it's got a lot of the similar elements hasn't it like lower the ring is very similar to um some of the things before but there's that that 12 inch um limit on the line of sight for spotting them the fact that the plus one to courage with frodo means you have to actually be in base contact rather than just um within 12 inches of the good models as well so there's a few little subtle differences that but do actually make quite a difference i think um i think they're working on an assumption that i don't maybe they're assuming that people aren't going to have quite as many buildings as they might need um, yeah yeah i think it works fine i don't i don't think that's a difference i was just making a, a comment on it really it was different um, no i mean just more for the the line of sight distance yeah. maybe it gives people who haven't got the opportunity yes, i to think build it's better I, th- I think it makes i think it makes more sense to do pure line of sight you do need that proper kind of city style board and almost if you do put a lot of terrain on there 
maybe you need to remove that otherwise it'd be too easy for the good side to, to stay out of line of sight as well so it kind of swings both ways with that um i think it's good there's only one thing would change and i'll mention that later um when we talk about how the game went and things but um so let's 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 talk about the the game how did it go i made a mistake straight away which which had quite a big impact on the game um so when i moved i was the i was the good side and when i moved the hobbits out i thought well i'm going to use barlaman to try and slow down the wraiths just like like i did in the in the previous scenario um but i just moved in that little bit too far forward so as soon as you came in um after your first move phase, you were able to get line of sight to Bannerman, which I'd forgotten. Um, unlike Harry Goatleaf, this does matter, which basically meant the, the, the good side was spotted straight away. So I lost that advantage of being able to kind of run away and hide, essentially, didn't I? So that was quite quite a mistake early on, because it means that right from the beginning of the game, you're not you're having that issue with me being able to potentially have the chance of controlling where your, your race move. Yes. Um... I mean, firstly, it was a lot of fun. Mm. I, I really enjoyed the game. We had a lot, we had lots of fun with it. Um, it was my one of my. I think it was probably the favourite I've played out of all the ones we've done so far. Yes, and it's a bit more of a thinker than some of the other ones. Even with you making a bit of a gaff to begin with, yeah. it was still a bit more of a thinker. I mean, with the selection models in tow, etc., it did make you start to think more about the moves made, and you know, you, you pulled quite a nifty little trick. When towards the end with how you position things and charge stuff, which you know, hadn't really come into it before. Yeah, it felt like we were playing the game a little bit more and it felt tight. Um, it didn't feel like, you know, with spoilers, it didn't feel like I was going to win because I felt like the, the, the conditions are very hard when you've got, as soon as you're spotted and you've, you've got four-inch move hobbits and you've got 10-inch um, move race on horses, it's impossible to outrun them. Um so it feels very hard to keep all but one alive. Um, there will be ways of doing it. And, and me, I could have bought myself an extra turn, essentially, by not moving um, Butterbur forward um, by another inch or so, because it was that close. It was, it was that kind of distance, and it wouldn't have made any difference. The plan was right. Just the, I just, just wasn't thinking about him not being spotted. Um, I thought it was him and Harry Goatleaf, and then I was like, no, it's not. It's only Harry Goatleaf that can be spotted. It doesn't matter. Um, so I could have had one more turn, but you'd have still caught me. You'd have just caught me in a slightly different position on the board. Um, and I would, I'm not sure how much difference that would There was a bigger difference in the game to that. Uh, <laughs> but um, there was something that called, yeah, something that kind of changed the game more than that mistake, I think. But that was definitely something that would have, wasn't too smart. But there was a chance that felt all the way through right to the last turn of the game for me to get a draw essentially um and it felt tight and the ring could have still got away but i wouldn't have done it well it doesn't mention draw does it in terms of the um the conditions i don't think um and objectives it just says what each side needs to do to win um and there is there are other there are other outcomes which we just assume will be a draw unless i've read it wrong good side wins if frodo aragorn and at least two other hobbit models escape evil side wins if frodo is slain well you could have yeah a there situation. is a gap in the middle there, there is a gap in the middle of that where where frodo isn't slain um but um more than two hobbits are killed so um i'm assuming that that's yeah that was a draw and that's what we were we're, were thinking too and, and it could have been that and there was a chance of that all the way through and it felt good it felt sort of like either it could go either way but um 
I didn't have a lot of fun with. We, we might have hinted earlier on. I didn't have a lot of fun with uh, priority, did I? No, although you did do quite well with courage. Yes, I think yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the dice rolls overall. I'm I'm not one of those that likes to bemoan dice rolls. Um, as an average, the dice rolls were fine. It's just what you roll them for. And I, I won. Did, did I win a priority? It was one, wasn't it? One, one in the whole game, and we played uh, the last but one. Um, so it, it, you need, you know, if you're if you're up against something that moves quicker than you, you really want to win priority so you can position and and set paths that block these these um these mounted uh, wraiths from charging and yeah i just every, every turn i was reacting and i just wasn't able to get away um the one you got the was a good the, one though. yeah it was it was but yeah, need, i needed a couple more um i think i was about four inches from the edge of the board um and you were down to your two wraiths that were left because i killed two your two wraiths that were left um one went at the end of the turn. He would have down to his last will. Didn't you have one or two will after? I had one close, model left on one will when, uh, Fro- when stabbed in the back. When Frodo was killed. And then Aragorn was still on the board. Um, and again, priority would have meant that he could have charged um, and got into to the combat the turn before that or something like that. So you, this is the tightness we were talking about. It's a really good scenario that I would happily play lots because I think you can have lots of different outcomes that will be very, very tight. Aragorn needs to do all the, the, the killing work, really. Um, it's been able to lose one hobbit, really. And the way I went was, well, use Aragorn and Sam to do the fighting and try and get Frodo and uh, Merry and Pippin, who are just kind of walking walking victory points for you, really, aren't they? Um <laughs> off the board um, and trying to just trying to run those away realize that you're probably going to lose Sam but try and use him to hold them up which is what I was doing and the fact that he has a little bit more about him and you just you know Aragorn's got plenty enough about him to stay alive Um, there's obviously a risk he can die but the plan was to use him to try and try and at least kill two maybe three of them and try and get lucky with one of the others and that's pretty much what happened but i just wasn't able to outrun you enough and you you picked off um sam mary and pippin in the end didn't you yeah quite uh, early on and then yeah i took from the end i mean when aragorn got in you know in with the wraiths yeah he murdered them quite quickly but yeah well i think that the first couple of turns was him and um sam holding off but you were able to um as soon as you were able to kill sam you were able to charge round with two race, weren't you, to um, to get to um, Mary and Pippin, which is probably around the back of the Prancing Pony, which is in the centre of the board. And then it really was a case of, can Frodo stay alive? And I think he did for one turn, but I really needed to win priority to get Aragorn into that combat in order for him to win that combat and do some damage for Frodo to, to stay away. So it, I was battling for a draw. It was um, from quite early on, as soon as it was, you know, as soon as I lost, as soon as I probably from the point I pushed a Barleyman forward an inch or so too much um, was when I was on the back foot and battling for a draw because I just needed that extra turn just to get Merry and Pippin a little bit further away around the back of the of the building for positioning. But it's cool. It's really cool. And I would like to definitely like to play it again. And I think, as I said, I think you can go both ways. And it feels like it's perfectly balanced. One thing, um, we mentioned it during the game, that I might help the hobbits a little bit and seems to fit narratively so the move quietly special rule which stops you using march when you've been spotted i don't get why you couldn't then use march and it would help 
trying to get four inch movement hobbits because Aragorn's only moving as fast as them anyway to get off the board. He's he's going to go slower. At that point, using March with Aragorn would seem like a logical and fluffy thing to do because he's not going to go quick. Run away from these Nazgul who have now spotted us. Don't run though. Walk. Don't run. You might trip over. You know, it's like feels like when you're a kid and you're crossing the road and they go, like, "Don't run." Um, it's well, they'll be holding Yeah, well, well, one of them was holding the chair and one of them was holding a candlestick. Um, that's the only thing I'd change, and I don't know. Maybe it would mess the balance of the scenario, but it does feel like I totally get it when they're trying to be quiet, not running around. Um, well, I say I totally get it. It's hobbits can move swiftly and quietly, can't they? It seems a bit seems a bit strange, but it does feel a bit odd that when you've been spotted and there's a some there's a big Nazgul on a horse running towards you, that it's not fear that makes you stand there and not run away. It's the fact that you're trying to be quiet. Um, just doesn't doesn't fit and being able to to do a march i mean you're using resource to do it aaron's got his free one i suppose i don't know it might imbalance it it might make it too easy for him to keep all the marches and go off the board and that might be the one they've done it but it's other than that that would have helped but maybe i've just felt like that because i just how many turns was the game about 12 turns yeah, been uh, on for quite a while. Yeah, and it, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it's because we played it the once and it was 12 turns of just not winning priority and always just thinking, how am I going to get away? So that's probably my thoughts on it probably skewed a little bit by not winning any priorities. Whereas if I'd won priorities and, and was able to control the positioning a little bit better and, and, and feel a turn further away from you, it might have um, might have been better. But um, yeah, it, I think it's cool. I like it. Um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, I suppose two things, the not main priority and then that mistake at the beginning, which didn't give me that, that 50-50 chance of slowing you down by moving a couple of your race back in the opposite direction or something. Because um, that that could make a difference as well. Couldn't it? If you if you run your model straight around the side and you do, they're not spotted and you get, you could have a really bad game as the evil player as well if you keep rolling badly on the... Um, on, yeah, on, definitely. On bit. So it could it could be swinging the other way and have a very very different game. That's just as frustrating for the evil player as they can't spot and not controlling their models. And um, Aragorn and the Hobbits just saunter off at the back without anything happening. So they could go either way. So we are talking very much about one game, but loved it. My favourite so far. Weathertop was very cool because of the, the mod. You know, what using using a Weathertop style model and again such a cool bit from the film but that felt quite hard without Aragon there this you know you've got all your models there you're not rolling to see whether something comes on the board so you're not kind of stuck like you can be in certain scenarios it does it did feel quite cool I, I want to play again and it's so nice playing on it we had a, you know I've got a nice map with streets and stuff on it and those foreground buildings are lovely looking models so the board looked cool probably my favorite out of the ones we've been playing on and it's just cool I was excited to play it and it'd be nice to play it in, in person we're not doing measuring it through a through a camera and finding out a way to go but it worked quite well didn't it, it didn't again that low model count with a with a webcam essentially or using a phone I was using my iPhone for a lot of the filming and showing you stuff felt like worked quite well again you're sitting the other end you're, you're probably not what you see on your screen isn't what I see live on my screen I don't know how well 4k goes over the internet probably not much at all probably downgraded to about no 720 but um if that but it's um if you could see it, you know even half as clear as it kind of seemed, I can imagine it'd be quite a fun way of doing it definitely worth trying for people yeah i definitely think it's worth a go i think it this whole uh sort of series of games we've been doing is it shows that 
you know, it's not saying it's the easiest thing in the world. It has required a bit of stuff and, you know, you've got some kit that some people may not have, but it is doable. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, well, I mean, when we played on the four by four games, all I'm using is a, I haven't even got a steady cam thing. Well, I'm using a stand, like a bracket stand for my phone so it doesn't shake. And I'm using, we used Facebook Messenger and my iPhone um, 11 Pro. So it's a good camera on it, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, uh, but, so I was able to set it on a stand so that when I put it down, Dan had a view of the whole sort of table from an angle. Um, and then I'd sort of just sort of show you around the table, wouldn't I, all the time? And it's just it's like, I suppose it's a bit like watching a battle report on YouTube for you, that kind of handheld style battle report. Um, but then you making the decisions about what you do with your models. I think that's probably the best way of describing it. Am I making an assumption? Because I'm obviously... Yeah, it's pretty, it's more something more interactive battle report. Yeah, well, a fully interactive battle report um, without, well, I say fully, you're not touching stuff, but you know what I mean, in terms of you, you get to choose all of your moves, etc. Um, and it's, yeah, it, it works quite well. And you're able to, to, to check things with me. You can say, well, if you want to, you can move here. And I try to, you try and be generous. I'll be like, Know, trying to sort of say right this is the closest distance you this is you can get from here to here these are all the places you get to did you want to move him here because then you've got a better way of you know trapping here or that i think if you're going to play a game like this using this kind of method you it's you gotta remember it's a narrative game and i think we're both good with all of these that we try to first and foremost try to keep to the film a little bit or the book to try and keep that flavor rather than doing what was the the most straightforward thing to do though this one because it's not quite the way it works in the book or the film anyway um it's you can just play this straight up can't you really it's not like the buckleberry ferry where you feel like well if we just move backwards towards the ferry it's going to block it off this is i don't feel like you need to pull any punches on this not so much, no. I, I think, think um, there's more to play for. I think I don't think either side has has a strong advantage um, by the, what the player does. There's nothing you think. Well, actually, if I just do that, I win. Um, the where it's going to get swingy is you know if I you get a really weird game like I did where I just didn't win priority, and we were joking about it because I think the game before. What did we do? The game before oh, we play, we played this, didn't we? And then we played the. The, the two by two farmer maggot at the end, didn't we? That's the way we did it. Do we do it that way? Uh, I think we did. We because we had a little bit of time at the end. We said we'll just wait to the end. So we played, we played them in order, and then we re-racked for the two by two farmer maggot at the end. Yeah, and, and I didn't win. Separate. And I yeah, and I didn't win many priorities. We worked out it was something really stupid. I won like two priorities over two games or something like that. Lots of turns, and it was a joke. And it was funny, um, but that kind of stuff won't normally happen. Um, so I think the swingiest thing that could happen here would be that um, the, the the evil player loses control of their race too much. You need it to happen a little bit in order to give the hobbits a bit of a, a head start, so to speak. Um, but also, if you if you get unlucky, like I did with priority, but it happens with the hunting the ring bearer thing, you you could have a game where you just feel like, oh, well, this game's just gone because they're too far away. But if you end up with a nice sort of tight bit, like we did in terms of the draw, it's really cool. I really enjoyed it, and I definitely want to play it again. And we said that we'll get our recordings out the you know the games we need to play for the show out the way. But during Christmas time, if we're um, one evening, um, we want to play a game online. I wouldn't mind cracking this one out and giving it another go because I think it's um, I think it's good fun. Yeah, definitely. 
Cool. Right. Um, yeah, please get in touch if you have any thoughts on these, if you play them yourself. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to Harry's next show on it. Actually, find out. I don't think I think his next one might be this, the next the next um, scenario I think they're sure they did up to this or nearly this so I'm I'd be interested to see how he gets on with, with some of the others because we're obviously not doing them all so I'm interested to see how he gets on but also get in touch um, I know Damien's going to be recording this one soon I think for his thing as well I suppose a lot of it's COVID related whether people can get together um, at least us doing it the way we've done it we can, we've not had that issue um, but yeah we're interested to see how people people who have played these what they thought of it um, have they listened to any of the stuff we our ideas on it and thought well you're talking absolute rubbish let us know if we're talking rubbish we'll be interested um, right let's take a little break and we'll come back with another heroic death match <coughs> Welcome to yet another heroic deathmatch. So we're keeping the theme of being sporadic and going all over the place with things at the moment. So today, who have we got today, Dan? We have Tariel versus the Spider Queen. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be an interesting one. Uh, we've elected to let you run Tariel purely because Damien will not forgive whoever it is who is running <laughs> her if she dies. Uh, I'd rather you took that particular sling and arrow. And uh, secondly, it's probably the closest I'm ever going to get to running anything remotely related to a spider, <laughs> because I have a bit of a problem with spiders. I do not like them in any way, shape, or form. I appreciate <laughs> that anyone from Australia listening to this is going to be laughing their backside off, <laughs> but I hate the things, and it's even to the point where I know I need to paint some for Mirkwood to go with my dog order. I know they're really good, but I just can't bring myself to blooming do it. <laughs> do you reckon, <clears throat> is it just that you, you can touch the models, or you wouldn't? You just is it, it going to be that bad? Gross. <laughs> I don't know. I've not tried, but uh, and there's other things I'll spend the money on. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not scared of normal spiders. I wouldn't want to hold a tarantula. They're not nice. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm all right with non-real ones. I'm all right with painting the models. I think they look quite cool. But yeah, people that have pet tarantulas. When I say people, there's nothing wrong with the people that have them. I just couldn't understand wanting to have it. It doesn't look cute to me. It looks like a spider. <laughs> so, bizarre. Yeah, or the, the crazy, <laughs> crazy ones you get in like the land of Oz. That, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, in the place, there's a place that even when a sheep want to kill you. So why on earth you'd play around with the spiders? I don't know. <laughs> well, do you want to take us through the Spider Queen then? Tell us all about it. Why not? Within the depths of Mirkwood, hidden in the shadows, dwells a creature of monstrous terror. This spawn of Ungoliant has grown to enormous size, feeding on the unwary travellers that innocently stray into her domain. The spider queen possesses a malicious intelligence, luring her prey into clutches before catching them in her vile webs. The back of the spider queen is constantly crawling with her numerous offspring who, when commanded by their matriarch, will scuttle forwards in order to feed. Well, that's delightful, isn't it? Um, the Spider Queen is a spider, funnily enough. Uh, Mirkwood, monster, infantry, and hero of valor. She costs 115 points. She's movement 10, fight 6, 6 plus, strength 6, defense 4, 2 attacks, 3 wounds, 4 courage, 3 might, 3 will, 0 fate. She has large venomous fangs, has heroic strike and heroic defense, monstrous charge, swift movement, terror, and venom, and has the progeny rule. During any point in a move phase, the Spider Queen may expend any number of remaining will points to summon a broodling. For each will point expended in this way, place a single broodling base anywhere within three inches of the Spider Queen, but not in base contact with enemy models. Broodlings may move and charge on the turn in which they are summoned. Broodlings are not counted when working out if a force is broken. 
just for flavor. The Broodling profile is Spider, Mirkwood, Infantry, Warrior. Movement 10, Fight 2, 6+, Strength and Defense 3, 1 Attack, 1 Wound, and Courage 2. So, altogether, a pretty horrible profile. <laughs> uh, not horrible in terms of stats. It's actually pretty reasonable for the points. Um, mm-hmm. I can certainly see why people do use the model, do use the profile. But it is all manner of nightmare, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we're using... No, the the Broodlings are really, really cool, using using Will. So you've got three Will, haven't you? So yeah, that's a, a really important point of the game, using those to... Um, get extra bases on the table to you know trap and stuff. Really good extra dice and combats. Very very good. Monster charge is cool. <coughs> I have to admit though that will would be going on the uh, courage because courage four. If you're starting to try and charge big things like elves, yeah, oh, that's what I'd be using my will for. I suppose both things would be situational, wouldn't they? Depending on, mm. on how the game's going. Um, so swift movement would be really cool as well. So. I mean, just mean I, I, it's the kind of thing I would forget in games sometimes, and you think, "Well, I'm all right here because there's that terrain there, and I use that to, to you know, to, to anchor my flank on." And then you forget something like that; you can just just go over it with no penalty. Um, and Venom's quite cool, and I'm sure you'll put that to to use in this little matchup today. Right. You know, to re-roll uh, failed wound rolls or must re-roll failed or all failed to wound rolls is really good, really really good. Um, so that could be could be quite could be quite tasty. Um, right though, so. Tariel, Elf, Mirkwood, Infantry Hero of Fortitude, 85 points. One of the patrol leaders within Thranduil's halls, Tariel is a tremendous fighter who is capable of facing multiple foes at once. She is matchless in the deadly press of combat, weaving through the ranks of her foes with her blades and leaving naught to be stumbled corpses in her wake. The compassion that she shows for Keeley in saving him from an ultimately... Who's Keeley? Is he in the books? Um, from an ultimately <laughs> fate proves her to be a valuable ally on the dwarves' quest to Erebor. Tariel has grown very fond of the dwarf and will fight to the last in order to prevent any harm from befalling him. Um, yeah, D- Damien's favourite thing in the world... His poor wife. Feel so sorry for her. Um, but you know, <laughs> we, we all have our obsessions, and his is an elf that uh, that wasn't in the books. Um, no, uh, move six, fight six three, strength four, defense five, uh, attacks three, two wounds, courage six, three might, two wounds, three fate. Um, elven made daggers, elven cloak. Um, heroic actions, accuracy, and strike has an elf can take an elf bow for five points. Has woodland creature, um, blade mistress. Tariel's skill at wielding her pair daggers is incredible. Tariel receives an extra attack for each enemy model she is engaged with after the first. This bonus is determined at the start of each fight and lasts until all strikes from that fight have been resolved. Which is really good, that. Won't be useful in this attack, but very, very cool. Vendral Fury. Toriel will descend into a grieving rage should any harm befall Keeley. Um, I imagine this is very situational. Um, if Keeley the Dwarf, champion of Erebor, is in your army and is killed, Toriel's strength is immediately increased to five and a defence is reduced to four for the remainder of the battle. Nice little thematic thing. I like thematic um, Isn't that rules very like similar that. to Elrahad and Elra here? Um, I think so. Yes, I think so. Yeah. I like those. They don't come up too often. Um, and, you know, if you're, it's avoidable if you don't want it to happen. If you are including them both, then you're doing it for thematic re- reasons anyway. So I kind of like the flavour, but it doesn't really affect match play that much because you, you've got control over whether you do it or not. So, um, how do you think this one's going to go? Um, the Spider Queen has obviously the points 
we say advantage mm-hmm. obviously costs more mm-hmm. um she is quite tough if she wins the duel she's got far more chance of causing wounds on tariel but she in hand is in turn rather yeah it's more like to shrug him off with three points of fate yes so i have none so you have an extra so, wound but tariel's got three points of fate um i have one less attack Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you'll be re- one less attack, um, but you're re-rolling your wounds as well. So that kind of, I don't know. Someone will tell us the maths on that, but um, um, got to win the duel first. You got to win the. Yeah, I know. I'm just thinking about More strikes. Doors. Thinking about strikes. Um, I, oh, it's definitely on my side for strikes, but it's, I've got to win those combats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I think they're even enough for it to be interesting because the fact that neither of us can go yeah well this is clearly uh, going to go to this or that person so I think it should be good right so are you ready are you uh, going to I am ready any heroics are you going to strike I'm not um, and then I won't be either right then so let's go for it two dice three high so I've got two sixes and a five Um, Uh, so your dice have returned to form well well, in the last episode as you remember that I um, I used a a dice that I hadn't microwaved um, just to give Danny some uh, confidence (laughs) (laughs) Um, right then so defence of four I need fours I believe you do and I've rolled three threes. Um, you have three points of might, so that could kill him, kill her off in one go. Yeah, I th- am I going? I think I will use three points of might, and because uh, it would stab, be stab, stab, and that's the end of that. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I expected that to go a little bit longer than that, if I'm honest with you. The ease with which she dispatches those spiders in the film is merely reflected in this. So but, fair enough. This is this is true. This is true. Um, yeah, I don't really know how to sum that up other than um, yeah. <laughs> wow. It happens, it especially happen. when you're using those dice. It's true. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Right then. Well, have you seen have you seen how much they, they go for on eBay? I think I think it's a phenomenon. People like people like the one ring dice and uh, you, the, the dice. Those dice on eBay, any of those named dice, tend to be like anything from like twenty five up to forty five or something. But the one ring ones seem to be even more rocking horse poop. Um, maybe we'll that's be going hundred pounds each now. <laughs> right then. Well, we will take a break and come back and close the showdown. <laughs> And you've made it to the end of another episode. Thank you for staying with us. Um, we're, we're still really, really enjoying doing it. Hopefully you're enjoying the, our coverage of the Quest of the Ringbearer. So, um, so as we already mentioned, the next next show is going to be our Fantasy Fellowship um, part of it. So Dan's had his plan for a while and has already started working on these models. It's all secret. Even I don't know. I think I've got an idea what one of the models is because I might have given it to him. But other than that, I genuinely don't know who he's got in his fantasy fellowship. I haven't got a clue what I've got in mine as yet, so I'm looking forward to actually um, sitting there with the book and, and working out uh, what mine's going to be. And then over Christmas and New Year, as I said, we're going to end our, our coverage for now because of COVID and doing it remotely. We're going to end our coverage in the Mines of Moria with uh, um, a balanced tomb and Kazadum um, because I've got some terrain for one, building some for another, and I'm, I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment and I wanted to build a... Uh, paint loads of Moria goblins but um, 
in terms of the next show, so the end of November show, if you've already got a fantasy fellowship, um, by all means, send it in. Let's let us know what you've chosen and your thoughts for doing it. Would when we discuss ours, it'd be quite cool to maybe discuss some of the some of you guys, um, some of your ideas of your fantasy fellowship. So if you send them in, we'll we'll read it out and have a little chat about it. Might be a nice way of doing it. Um, and if no one sends them in, we'll we will uh, we'll send the boys around and make sure that you write something down for us. Um, Dan, have you got anything you'd like to uh, say? before we head out and let people go yeah just the usual uh, follow us on the old usual social media channels also uh, gamers um, obviously in light of the current UK situation nothing's going on with them apart from just general chatter on the group but it's a nice place to be Yeah, and uh, yeah just general uh, look after each other and be safe and uh, interact with us as much or as little as you wish to uh, we always <laughs> enjoy seeing new bits and pieces being posted in the uh, the group we give it a like um, there's been a few bits more recently which is always lovely so uh, and yeah please do send in your fancy fellowships because I am very excited about this part of the book and I'm always interested to see what other people are doing I find it very interesting the way people's mind works looking at you Steve um, so yeah it's all been very very good and uh, I would like to see more and it'll be good to discuss a few little uh, bits and pieces yeah so and if you don't we're just going to discuss Steve's and shame him <laughs> Yeah, the group's been picking up nicely, isn't it? There's stuff stuff happening every day in there now and people posting up their their army progresses and painted stuff, which is really, really cool to see. So it's a nice place to be in at the moment. So yeah, as Dan said, head over to our Facebook page and like it and I'll head over and join our Facebook group as well. Um, we're also on Instagram, OOTFP Podcast and at Twitter, OOTFP. You can email us directly at OOTFP Podcast at gmail.com and if you, uh, you want to enter the competition that we mentioned earlier and you uh, um, you can't tag us for whatever reason, but you have shared our stuff, and you just you know as I say, just going to change screenshot and email it there if you want to, um, and also check out the the YouTube channel. I've edited the as I said earlier the first part of the Smaug progress, um, and um, he's all washed and, and and the tools I use and stuff. And probably by the time uh, you're listening to this, I may well have started building them as well. So be next week or so, I'll start putting up some videos for that. So look out for that as well. Um, Take care and we'll catch you soon.